Hello, all. Welcome to Weekly Manga Recap here on November the 17th of 2021. I am Nick with Chris and with manga, as we typically are. Yes. Typically, but not always. Sometimes we're without manga, mm-hmm. and we usually spend that time... I mean, I spend it crying. I don't know what you do. Uh, wishing I had manga. Ah, uh, We deal with grief in different ways. But it's yes. kind of the same way. It's just sadness. It's 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 a deep longing. And one of us just like puts that energy into, you know, actually doing something about it. And one of us just sits there being like, I wish I had manga. Wait, is crying actively doing something about it? I mean, it's better than doing nothing. Just being like, oh, I, I guess <laughs> for a moment I got excited. It's like, do my tears have magic properties like healing ash like uh, Pikachu's did in the first Pokemon movie? <laughs> Um, well, I've never had a person turn to stone as a result of clashing psychic attacks in front of me, so I don't know how to test that. So there really is a wild fucking third act when you think about it. Yeah. Two psychic attacks happen. Ash steps in the middle. Some reason those turn him to stone instead of exploding his mind with the psionic energy. And then all the Pokemon cry and the tears bring him back to life. What if, like, uh, the psychic attacks just, like, made every nerve ending in his body explode? And so Pikachu is there. He's like, trying to zap him, and it just causes, like, his limbs Uh, to uh, splutter up and down. I like the idea that, like, Pikachu's crying on him. Nash is like, Pikachu, your tears are like a thousand needles on my exposed nerves. Stop. I love you too, buddy, but please stop. <laughs> for, love, for love of everything that's good, please. And then all the other Pokemon, their clones start crying too. It's like, no, why are all their tears coming straight for me? <laughs> no, what's drawing them here? Mewtwo's trying to have his big speech about how he realizes that uh, not all humans are bad. Ah, stop it! <laughs> Is that because I've always heard people retroactively say that's like an amazing speech from you two, like regardless of the fact that it's from the first Pokemon movie. Uh, And it always just reminds me because I always hear the quote of like, do you think God lives in heaven because he, too, is in fear of his own creation? I'm always like, what is that from people every time? Like Spy Kids. I was like, God damn, why is the line that good at Spy Kids? Uh I believe that Mewtwo, Mewtwo's line is like, it is not like the conditions of one's birth, but what one does with one's life or something like yeah. that defines their value. Which is like, yeah, it's a good lesson. I mean, unfortunately, like the rest of the movie doesn't really lead up to it very well, but oh well. <laughs> Mewtwo's like, now I'm off to, to do nothing. I will, I will change the world in no further way. There will be a sequel for some reason, and then I'll erase your memories again. I think <laughs> you're 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 really. I know I saw the third Pokemon movie in theaters, and I remember almost nothing about. it. I remember Charizard came back. And I was yes. real stoked for that because that was when that was a special thing. Now I feel like Charizard comes back once per season. He's like, "Hey, everybody!" And I like the audience claps. Like, ah, oh, yeah. it's that it's that thing that happens uh, once a season now. Heavy baseline, but you yeah. <laughs> he slips into the scene. Whoa! Ah, oh, back. <laughs> pause for a pause for applause. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, but that's enough about Pokemon. We got manga to talk about, and uh, we're not doing a Pokemon manga thing this uh, this episode. So I guess we'll uh, just 
we want to there. Yeah, we can. Well, Unless hey, we, can talk about we we might find know. a way to talk about Pokemon all over again. You never know. I mean, I don't know. It's it was kind of a very influential media franchise that happened to explode in popularity. We were at a very uh, malleable age, so uh, yeah. We were like, the exact age of the protagonists of the series when it hit peak popularity in America. You see, I feel like every child believes that, though. So <laughs> I was actually ten when Pokemon came out, though. So <laughs> no, you don't understand. I was ten when Pokemon came out. Well, so <laughs> you don't know. It doesn't. Ash doesn't age. <laughs> you understand how. TV airings work because you're a stupid kid. Like, Did Pokemon came out when I was a kid? No, it didn't. <laughs> I don't know why I'm arguing with you, but I feel I'll fist fight you. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about my hero. Academia. Let's do that. It's chapter number 333 of my hero Spectre. So. This chapter takes an odd turn. Mm -hmm. Um, Last time, Star and Stripe uh, had an opportunity, presumably, to just explode a jet that had one of her bros in it and kill uh, not Shigaraki while he was in a vulnerable position with his uh, regeneration at its limit, supposedly. I'm sure he would have found a way to live anyway. But uh, she paused, and so Shigaraki was able to touch her. Oh no, this means many bad things, yes. such as she's going to die. And also, all for one's going to take her fucking quirk. Uh-oh. Uh, and we get a little bit more backstory into this whole thing, because Shigaraki, all for one, whatever, talks about why uh, they've been targeting uh, Star and Stripe, which is that uh, if New Order and One for All happen to combine their powers together, uh, that would be very, very bad for him. And so you... I had all of my foreign criminal friends do stuff as a distraction. All my foreign criminal friends that definitely exist, uh -huh. believe me. You know what this reminds me of? No. Uh, Cyndaquil. So, Nick, who was your favorite Johto star? See, we could talk about Pokemon all over again. <laughs> was the best Johto starter it, on, you know, so. I'm between that and Totodile and then in a far almost so far down it shouldn't even be considered a part of the same scale as Chikorita like if your favorite is Chikorita I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just saying that you and I probably can never be friends because I don't respect you I guess Chikorita had a fun derpy smile Mm -hmm. uh, and that's about it. <laughs> so. Chikorita is also that design of like, I don't know, it's evolutions are it gets bigger. And it's the same fucking thing. I, don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess that's Cyndaquil too, but <laughs> it looks cooler. It's on fire. <laughs> ah, but see, it grows a second fire thing, which then goes away when it stands up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, so. Um, so uh, he decided that uh, he needed to perfect Shigaraki's body as a vessel for himself in order to steal one for all before challenging New Order. Uh, but that didn't really work out. Uh, so whether you knew it or not, he's talking to himself, but to Star and Stripe, your most likely unsanctioned free-spirited early visit was the one scenario that I hated to imagine. Placing this incomplete body on the front line was a gamble I was forced to make. 
but I've won this roll of the dice, USA. Yeah, not just Star and Stripe, but America in general. Oh, no. He's a, he's going to destroy America, I guess. So, Probably. She is, Shigaraki has touched Star and Stripe, who declares Kathleen Bate won't decay uh, as her body starts to kind of crack apart the way that decay affects everything. Uh, but uh, it doesn't seem to be working because Shigaraki's stolen the quirk, stolen order, new order, new order, new order, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, while Star and Stripe, as they separate in the air, conveniently narrates for our sake, I'm done for. It exceeded the cap of my endurance boost. Uh, so I guess she didn't deactivate, because that's what some people were saying last time. They're like, oh, she deactivated the quirk on herself to make it so she could stand on the air or whatever and make the lasers like focus or something like that. But apparently that's not what she did, because she still has the endurance boost. Or she's just dumb, and she's, she did deactivate it, and she's like, oh no, it's exceeded the cap of my normal, regular-ass human endurance. You see, she's got that American... Uh, mathematical uh, education. Uh, so <laughs> she's measuring it in in yards and not English in... <laughs> units. <laughs> oh no! Once I came over to Japan, the conversion rate meant that. I... <laughs> uh, and so Shigaraki also helpfully narrates how the, how their course are interacting and stuff. And I'm just like, okay, all right, fine, fine, fine. But <laughs> do you remember that bit <laughs> where? <laughs> Where all for one and Yoichi argued about how the endings of comic books would shape their destiny. <laughs> well, it's back. Yes. Because all for one triumphantly declares, this is where it truly begins, Yoichi. The stories I read with you that day, you thought I didn't realize there was more to the story? Wrong. I knew how it would go. So I chose to stop reading there. <laughs> Which is how you decide stories end. You're just like, all right, pa page 30 out of 160. That's enough for me. That's how the story ends. Okay. I'm sure Fredo will not go through any hard times on his journey. Bye, everyone. So. Shigaraki's stolen New Order. All for one stolen New Order. And uh, starts to make a declaration about the air. But then inside his mind palace, Star and Stripe appears. Ah. Looks um kind of cocky. Uh with her arms crossed. Uh and all for one slash Shigaraki's body just starts exploding in every place at once. It swells up, it goes boom, 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 boom. And everyone's like, what the hell is happening to him? He's bursting apart. And the reason for this is that his quirks are exploding out. And Somehow, Star and Stripe's bros seem to have realized what has happened. Because they go, you think that maybe Star. And Star thinks to herself, as her body starts to decay away, there was no time to blow him up with your plane, so I set a new rule at the last second. New Order revolts against other quirks. And this manifests by the image of Star and Stripe in Shigaraki slash All for One's mind, 
going Hulk and ripping away at his body and tearing chunks out of it while all the people that he's stolen quirks from are swirling around them. So that's an interesting. <laughs> it's definitely if you had asked me originally, like, what is the point of this arc? I think I could have suggested maybe Shigaraki gets nerfed somehow. I didn't know it was because he would get infected with a quirk that starts murdering all of his other quirks. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't really. Um, I think that now something is going to happen here because this is the big point of this because throughout the rest of the chapter, all for one Shigaraki is trying to get rid of new rule, which new order, which is kind of funny because, um, you know, that his big plan was, I'm going to steal that quirk. He's like, this, it's is like gonna be, this is going to be so sweet. I'm going to have this quirk and everything is going to be awesome. Then he gets, oh, he's like, Oh, and everything is an awesome. <laughs> where's someone I can give this stupid fucking quirk to. Um, and uh, so that's what All for One is trying to do is he's like, well, maybe if I go for one of the pilots, I can give the quirk to them so that I can just get rid of this thing before it destroys all my other quirks. Uh, but he can't because he can't just dump the quirk. That's not how his own quirk works. He can bestow quirks and he can steal quirks. And that is how All for One works. He can't just go, eh, I don't want that one. Uh, so that is an interesting limitation uh, that has come up. And it's, you know, I, I do like seeing that, like, some of the biggest missteps that All for One has made throughout his entire life have been just his own quirk and his not predicting how things will unfold with it. That's a nice mm. theme to see echoed here. But what this means for the long run in terms of, okay, Shigaraki slash All for One has these powers now, uh, that is probably going to define what we probably feel about this little diversion in general because like, okay, that's a big thing, but what does it mean? And mm. what's he going to be able to do from here? Uh, if it was entirely pointless, then it's like, all right. But if there was a point to it, then, Hey, there was this imaginative kind of thing that happened involving a short lived, but memorable character within, with a, uh, quirk that had a couple cool moments in it. Uh, but if nothing comes to this, then it'll be like, I don't really know why we had to do this. So, we shall see. I, I, I'll get to my thoughts on this mini arc as we wrap up this chapter, since it mm. looks like more or less this is kind of the end of it. Right. Uh, so Star's bros uh, realize that All for One Shigaraki is in, is in trouble, so they shoot him with more lasers and his body is falling apart. And they know that Star is done for because her body is decaying away and she's not stopping it. Uh, all for one doesn't seem to be so much focused on the laser fire that he's taking as the fact that he's losing quirk after quirk and uh, his reflect quirk is gone entirely. So that takes his defenses down considerably star and stripe. Meanwhile, thinks to herself that because all might saved her, I got to indulge in this lovely dream of mine. And there is a moment where we see that after saving her, that all might, you know, kind of like knelt down in front of her and was a friendly dude. And we see even as her face is decaying away and just going, her eye is gone and she's turning into powder and you can see her hair and her muscle tissue disintegrating away. She's got a big old please smile on her face. And she thinks all might, this is me returning the favor. Uh, now 
what is the way that the villain always reacts whenever they're a super over the top person and uh, something goes wrong for them? They say curses. Yes. And that's what all for one says. <laughs> Curses. Uh, and he curses the spirit, the specter rather, of All Might as uh, he's still having to deal with the quirk revolting on him. Uh, and also on the outside, he's still being shot with lasers. That's where we leave off the chapter. So, yeah. So for all intents and purposes, it seems like uh, Star and Stripe is dead. Um, I don't know if we're going to get any last thoughts from her in the next chapter or anything like that or some kind of a posthumous eulogy kind of thing um so i feel relatively fine speaking on star and stripes as a whole uh, star and stripe as a whole um which is to say i like her i'm really disappointed we got her though uh because she seems to exist entirely within what is going to be one volume of my hero academia uh mm. she is introduced made interesting to a certain extent and then killed and it is more or less the same thing that happened with Lady Nagant as well. Mm -hmm. And in a whole, there's just been a lot of not great representation of women heroes in My Hero, where a couple of them are just dumb, and then sometimes they get sexualized, and then sometimes they exist just to get killed or injured, you know? Like... Even Mirko, to a certain extent, you could say, like, she got to look really cool during that fight, and then she got her arm torn off, and we haven't seen her again since then, and she might not even really be super relevant after that either. And Midnight got killed off screen, mm -hmm. and so, yeah. Mount Lady has a big moment, but she has to go butt first into the panel because that's her, you mm -hmm. know, stupid gimmick. Like, I'm not saying... I'm not trying to make this out to be like this is the worst crime a, a bunk has ever done or anything like that, but it is something that does make me kind of even disappointed we get Star and Stripe is because I really can't appreciate her the way I want to because she showed up just now, she got to look cool, and now she's dead. Yeah. It's like, cool, thanks, I guess. Like I would have appreciated this as a character who had been in the story for a really long time and... Then she got to make this big, huge fight against All for One and had to make a heroic sacrifice. Like, the actual idea behind it is clever. She she puts a new rule on her quirk, which is already a nebulous thing to begin with, but she puts a new rule. It tears apart of the quirks. It's a clever way to nerf Shigaraki, which kind of needed to happen. But in the end, that kind of feels like that's what her entire character was, which feels very yeah. dehumanizing. It felt like she came in yeah. to nerf Shigaraki a little bit. Yeah, she feels less like a living character and more like a tool of the plot because of the timing of her introduction and her departure from the story, seemingly uh, permanently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I definitely see your point. And you're actually absolutely correct that it is, you know, disheartening that this is a very obvious recent trend uh, that's been going on with my hero. Um yeah, you could have very easily had a character do this that had just not been around all the time, but had just shown up one or two times before yeah. this, and it would have had much more impact uh, to see her die. So yeah, as I said, I feel I, my 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 hope if there's any way to retroactively fix it, I don't I don't know what volume my hero is up to, but whatever volume contains Star and Stripe, I wonder if there will be any reference to her 
after this volume because i don't recall there being mm. any reference to her before it i'd be curious if there's any reference i'm sure there maybe it'll be a fucking montage at the end of all the characters who helped deku along the way and she'll be in the back with the other female characters who had to die or suffer greatly to make the hero story a little bit better ouch they get like yeah. they get a couch together <laughs> you know <laughs> all right I think that brings us to Undead Unluck. Yeah, let's talk about Undead Unluck number 87, round two, fight. Uh, so Fuko has lost round one. She's in a bad spot right now. And Billy is sort of just talking. He's like, yeah, struggling your life away with no chance of winning. That's not what I'd call being strong. Uh, but Andy's like, yeah, guess what, though? She's changed yet another person. And we, we see uh fuko talking to ishin and basically being like don't worry it's because i made the mistake that this all happened it's not your fault you know hey fuko's changed yet another life of a member of of uh uh union so mm-hmm. now now ishin's unbreakable will grow even stronger and- i do like how um clothy is uh extending out to cover up ishin in in that mm-hmm. panel yeah so, it's very cute it is very nice uh, so we do see, uh, Spring look upon Ishin and says, that is a name that seems to jog my memory, that hair and carriage. I have seen them in the past. And then suddenly there's like a throbbing in Spring's head and Spring's eyes turn white as clearly the God brainwashing technique gets stronger and Spring screams out in pain. So, uh, Billy and Andy kind of theorize, yeah. This is something we've never seen in UMA do before. It really does kind of seem like a shit is going to be the key to beating this guy after all. Um, but at the moment, it looks like all it did was really add fuel to the fire. So bad, bad times there. Uh, but it's time for round two. And uh, we're not playing Beyblades anymore. It's different now. It's It's a different thing. So let us now begin round two. And suddenly all the characters get sucked up into this big bright light we see uh, shin get sucked up and the various fights that were going around even creed and all of those who had their fight finished they get sucked up in this big light and they're all turned into cards a 13 man karuta game and it is basically poems on cards that are divided in half 13 of them and the game is one half of the poem will be drawn read and then one side has to run to the other side of it to get the other half. The person who has the majority of that will win the game. But the, the whole gimmick to this is it's not just random cards. These are poems of the 13 various people who were turned into these cards, the various different negators. So I believe that this is actually like an actual game, mm-hmm. like the phrase separated on the cards. It's just not something you see played in america yeah so (laughs) i could definitely see that but this is a fantastic opportunity by the way if you wanted to dig into the lore of uh undead unluck there's a ton of it right here as there's a lot of characters who we know their stories and a lot of characters who we don't (laughs) so uh there's a lot to look into and see if you can match up who all these people are I'm going to assume Unrepair is the one that mentions an unrepairable scar. That seems that seems like a likely one. 
I have sliced upon that eye an unrepairable scar. Ooh. It would be really funny if it wasn't. They're like, no, nope, that's your sigh. <laughs> it's completely different. Like, damn. Uh, so they know like, hey, Fuko is going to have the advantage in this, though, because she knows all of these negators. How is this going to work? And Spring's just like, it doesn't matter. It'll it'll be fine. So they read off the first one. My deceased parent shall not be ashamed of what their son aims to be. And uh, it's kind of amusing because I didn't get it at first because I was like, there's a couple negators with dead parents at this point, yeah, aren't really. there? <laughs> but uh, Fuko immediately is like, that's Shakara. And she goes to reach for the card and Spring just fucking slaps her away. Basically, is like, yoink, got it. And they're like, oh, that's how it's going to be. He just waits till she runs to the card and smacks her away, basically. <laughs> This is literally exactly how some duels in Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc 5 go. Really? So the, the, the big kind of gimmick duel in Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc 5 is called action duels, where you are playing the game, but also you're on a holographic field that you can run around in, and you can grab and immediately use these action cards. And, oh, that's right. Uh, so there is this one dueling school, because there are dueling schools in Yu-Gi-Oh! Arc 5, uh, that literally teaches all of its students martial arts so that they can beat up their opponents <laughs> so while they, they're trying to... they can get to the, the card and be like, wah, wah, and just take the card. Exactly. Be like, so sweet, like, I get oh, to draw were... a card. Uh, she wasn't able to grab any of the action cards because she just got to the shit beaten out of <laughs> Just some kid, like, like clearly, like, all their arms broken on the ground, like, ah, ah! <laughs> like now you've activated my trap card writhing in pain <laughs> sucks to suck nerd it's a it's a i mean it's a really great little thing so, so i mean why wouldn't you it doesn't say you it's can't. a strategy look it doesn't say in the rule book dogs can't play basketball it doesn't say in the rule book you can't physically assault your opponent to the point they can't play cards <laughs> It doesn't say in the rule book you can't have an attack dog that will <laughs> chase down your opponent and rip their skin <laughs> off. Uh, so Andy's like, Fuko, you can't do that. You you, you got to go for feints. You know, if you do that, then Spring will touch the wrong card. Uh, and and Billy's like, yeah, if, if she's going to win, that's going to be what she needs to do. Then the next card is red. It's it's Top's card. You know, my friend's dreams have been broken and gathered by me. So for my whole life, till the day I plant my foot in God, I shan't stop. Which is an awesome line. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, Fuko runs straight towards it. It's, uh, Spring slaps her away. And he's like, yoink, mine. They're like, that's not going to work. And she, she seems confident about it. So uh, Billy, as he's looking at the next card, says, Juiz. Wait, no, what's her, how do you pronounce her names? Juiz? No, is it like Juiz or? Yeah. All right. I need to, I need to, I need to see like the original yeah. uh, spelling of it to see what they're approximating. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll say Juiz for right now. Billy's holding up presumably her card as well because it notes the cycles through eternity. We've done. This is all for you. He just thinks is what is it about Foucault? That you consider hope and we cut over to later in the game spring has six cards now fuko has zero they are literally at the exact point where he cannot win a single other game they i don't i don't know if uh they actually have gender so i apologize uh 
if a si- if spring wins a single more a single hand more, it's done. So mm-hmm. it's it's a really bad time. And Billy's just like, why the fuck is Fuko not doing a faint or something? Why does she not follow your advice? <laughs> and Andy's just like, in order to touch him, she's not making any faints or anything like that. She's purposely going in and getting smacked. But that's when she does it. She's been touching him ever so slightly. She's risking her life to charge Spring full of unluck. Um, and Billy's just like, wait, will her un- unluck work on a UMA? A brainwashed one at that? And I do like Andy, who's just like, hurry and read the card. She's not going to last much longer. <laughs> you got you to gotta speed this up. She's been taking a lot of smacks from a, <laughs> a giant monster, basically. Uh, so... We we get uh, an interesting one this time. For my life savior mm. and his impossible dream, I shall lend my voice. And Fuko hears voice and is like, ah, Mr. Tella. And uh, I actually have to zoom in here. I don't think I actually read this little bit where it's her sitting with Bunny. And he, she asks, why do you always talk with that? You're a negator. Uh, and he says, you're a negator too. Use some critical thinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, she says it has to be that one. Mr. Billy, an impossible dream means slaying God, right? And uh, Billy says, Tella seems to think so, but if you're ruthless enough in your ways, nothing is impossible. And Fuko responds, what I think you need isn't ruthlessness, it's love. In fact, that's that's such hippie bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I use violence in love. Hold on, wait till I give you my full definition of love and you tell me if it's hippie stuff. Spring loved someone once, and he suffered to depose God and tried to compromise with people. It's amazing, isn't it? The same God that did nothing but impose abilities on us so far as trying to butt us into a serious contest. We've gotten so much closer to them. All of us have. Uh, and we see Spring being like, uh, so it's that card there, the correct one, huh? Tell me now, Unluck. And she's like, yep. And she starts reaching for it. We can see Spring's hand coming in. And she says, it may be coming little by little, but we've got a chance. And while it may be an overly optimistic idea, I'm sure this buildup of love will one day reach God. <laughs> and lightning strikes spring. It's <laughs> a great expression that yeah. makes when the lightning strikes. <laughs> and uh, Billy is shocked by this. A stroke of unluck, not on a human, but a UMA. And... Uh, Fuku just says, I'm sorry, Spring. I wasn't able to control my love, my unluck for Andy, but it looks like I can for you. And that's why I'm not letting you take any more cards. Yeah. So, this is a cool chapter. Yeah. I do like that, hey, Fuku is smarter now and she's got way better at her ability. This is, uh, I mean, this is definitely the big, like, this is Fuku's arc, like, from the time yeah. that she was made to infiltrate uh, under to all the stuff. With, with spring like i feel like you know the fights that we got to this point were short specifically so we could spend a lot more time with fuko uh and show off how much she's grown yeah so. and i really do love how like in a way weird and crazy some of fuko's developments are at times because oh yeah it is like i know it's not meant to be like a black twisted argument but it is kind of amusing like my love has struck in you with lightning <laughs> We're friends now, and one day that's, it perhaps could kill God. That's the power of her love. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Cool. Good stuff. All right. So, um, we moving on to uh to kaiju then? Yep, kaiju number eight. 
All right, last time, Kaiju number nine revealed that there was a body that was actually sneaking up on Kaiju number two, a.k.a. Isao. And uh, too late, Kafka realizes that the things that they've been fighting are not the main body. So he and Narumi both shift uh, into battle mode uh, again and go racing towards the director general to try and save him. And uh, Kikaru, when she realizes this, also springs into action. Isao uh, tells everyone in the command center to try and evacuate. Um, Kaiju number nine uh, tries to blow up a random guy in a lab coat, but uh, Isao protects them by getting into his battle armor and um, using a briefcase. I guess it's the thing that holds the Kaiju That's, I, I would presume, yeah. So... Uh, he commands the two uh, com soldiers that are actually there to evacuate everyone, and he says, I can't allow this thing to gain Kaiju number two's power. I can't let it fall into its hands. Uh, the Nogizaka, who was the guy with the eye patch, refused to leave at first, but Itami, the bald guy, who's always making wry comments to people who are watching stuff, uh, just says, we're going to get in the way. That's just the little throw we're dealing with, so we just have to step out of the way. Uh, so Isao puts on his um, super weapon thing, uh, gets his hammer rocket arm things, and Kaiju number nine, it turns out, is really, really big now. He's big and muscly, and also darker, because he's more evil and threatening, I guess. Ah! Scary. Uh, and uh, so while they're swearing off against each other, Isao was just thinking about how he was trying to create a division that was powerful enough to dest destroy any kaiju. And he thinks to himself, I was planning on actually taking initiative against the kaiju when I started this plan, but uh, you've evolved much more than I imagined that you would. So, so much for getting the, the jump on that. They go knuckle to knuckle in a big punch. Uh, and... Uh, a huge explosion goes off from the impact of their blows. Uh, Isami uh, thinks to himself that according to recent reports, Kaiju number nine's fortitude is 8.5, whatever that means. Ah, it's he explains it on the next page. Well, what I really appreciate is he didn't bring up uh, the director's dead wife at all. And oh, that it, that is a studly thing. He's like, that's a, <laughs> it's like its power is a, a fortitude eight point five. The one that killed your wife was like a ten, though. That was ooh man. Not helping. <laughs> Would it help if I played you her favorite song? I wanna live forever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but the point that he makes because that, oh, an 8.5 fortitude means that even as Isao is now, he might only just be able to manage it. Uh, and then Kaiju number nine's muscles bulge a bit and he just smashes Isao into the ground, uh, which shocks everyone. Uh, he's fucked up. That arm of his, uh, is not in one piece anymore. So that's not good. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Even Kaiju number nine is surprised by how strong that he is now. And everyone's just like, oh, no, this is way, way, way stronger than we estimated we would have to be dealing with at this point. And so there's a huge punch. But then as Kaiju number nine is punching downward, his arm 
explodes or I guess the image indicates that it is just experiencing a blowback from the punch that Isao returns into it. And Isao didn't need Isami to, to bring up his dead wife. He thinks about her himself. Uh, and he just says, well, I don't give a shit. I'm going to get rid of you right now. And that's basically it as he sits up. Uh, it's an interesting little chapter. I don't know if I have as much interest in Kaiju number eight as I did previously enough to like try to like theory craft like, oh, where are they going to go? I'm really kind of at a point of like, I will read the chapters and if they emotionally move me, I will be grateful. Yeah, that's that's kind of how where I'm at as well. Um, I would like to be at a point where I'm, you know, more worried that Isao is going to die. But honestly, I'm just going to like, yeah, I guess that could they could go with him dying or they could go with him living. Yeah, (laughs) maybe it doesn't kill him, but it takes the the gauntlets and something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have enough. I don't have enough point of reference to actually care about how this fight will turn out. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Let's move over to Spy Family. Hey, it's the end of the arc. Let's yeah. Relaxing time after all the stress that everyone had to deal with, disarming bombs and fighting assassins and trying to make it back to the daycare center without getting caught. So, uh... Anya leads everyone onto the beach. She does like a superhero landing, which only she appreciates, which means that her family is no fun uh, and they don't encourage her to be imaginative and have fun, which is not good. Let Anya be Anya. Anyway, uh, but she gets back at her dad for not appreciating her cool superhero landing by saying, you know, if you're a normal dad, then you'd be jumping and hopping along with your daughter like this. And Lloyd very unnaturally starts hopping and jumping along while not changing his facial expression to one to express joy or any sort of positive emotion. But hey, then they run into Yor because uh, she's off work now. Uh, Lloyd notices that her face is kind of swollen and she's like, oh yeah, um, the prospect and his wife were fighting and I stepped in to stop them. Dark. Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh i guess so she also uh indicates she kind of you know very obviously reflects fondly on the friends that she kind of sort of made uh after protecting them and just says i know we did everything we could for them in the end they were smiling and that's good enough for me and uh now that the job's done they can go have fun together and hey we get a montage walking up steps Going down a zip line, which Anya is apparently not Anya. Yor is apparently really bad at. She's, you know, maybe she's pretending not to be graceful. You know how, um, like I have a friend who's really, really good at fighting games, and uh, her significant other wanted to play her, so she was intentionally holding back, mm-hmm. and then he started talking shit. Oh no. So then she's like, all right, motherfucker, I'm going to play for real now. And just fucking like perfect him like three straight games in a row. Like it, it's just one of those things. Maybe she's just pretending to be bad right now. Possibly. And, and Lloyd doesn't have that ability in him. He just has to be good at everything. Right. He has to be perfect. Um, or she's just supposed to be uncoordinated. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, she doesn't seemingly keep up the illusion on the very next panel when she pedals the bike too hard for all of them. to So... <laughs> 
Uh, they also go like spelunking and horseback riding and on swing set, which, you know, you can only ever do on an island resort. You can't go swinging anywhere else. <laughs> Uh, and making stuff on the beach. And hey, look at how happy Anya is. Isn't that nice? Uh, and then they go to a petting zoo, and there are sheep, which she says look like Bond. Yeah, they bit. do kind of, yeah. And hey, Yara's feeling happy too. And uh, and then uh, as Yara's looking at Anya, she just says to herself, I hope that this piece can go on forever and ever. And that's why I... But then she can't complete the thought before Anya points out, like, hey, I want to go snorkeling. Um, and uh, Yor immediately gets uh, worried because if she has to wear a swimsuit, it'll expose her scar. So Anya pretends she doesn't want to I, go I, more. I was going to make a joke about how our community was really upset that they didn't get to see Yor in a swimsuit. But then I remembered they I believe one of our members did actually say they were bummed that Yor didn't get to dress up in a swimsuit. So they didn't get it. So, uh you know, I guess it all <laughs> it all makes sense. You can always rely on them. So, yes. <laughs> uh, but your notice is like, oh hey, you can get like one of those kind of wetsuit style swimsuits, the kind that cover up like almost everything, uh, except your calves, basically. Well, and, inf infamously, sea creatures will never bite your calves. Think about it. Well, is there ever a time where a sea creature has bitten off somebody's like calf to uh, lower leg? Now, don't Google shark attacks and prove me wrong. I'm thinking smaller things like sea sponges and <laughs> clams, stuff that don't really have mouths per se in the same way. Like, you know, teeth in that kind of way. I am fairly confident that no coral has never been bitten someone's leg off there you go all right i'm pretty sure that you can get wounded on coral but not get your leg bitten off by it. exactly that's the only thing because look you could also pull up a statistic that says brushing up against this particular kind of sea sponge uh will put you in such agonizing pain you would cut off your own leg which would technically count but we're not talking about that okay we're talking about would a sea creature do a shark bite and take their leg off, but it's not a shark. Like, would a sea sponge shark bite off somebody's leg? And no, it doesn't happen. That's why you don't have to cover Chris, I live on a peninsula. I'm okay. surrounded by water on all sides. You need to stop reminding me of how horrifying the ocean is right now, okay? Most, most sharks are cool. Except. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter how you finish that. <laughs> Except. The only thing I need to know is there is an exception. <laughs> there is an exception. Not all sharks are cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, your notice is, hey, if I wear this very snorkely uh, swimsuit thing, then no one will see my my scar, so it'll be cool. And so as soon as that uh, comes up, then Anya's like, oh yeah, let's go, let's go swimming. Uh, and also, Anya was pretending that, oh, a shark could eat us in order to get out of, oh, I want to go snorkeling. And your just says, there won't be any sharks. And if there were, I'd get the jump on them. <laughs> I believe her too. You imagine if, like, uh, Yor had been in that raft that uh, got blown up and then capsized into uh, into the the, of course, very uh, conveniently uh, circling sharks. She would have been fine. She would have come out afterwards. She'd be like, "This is great." Oh, how am I going to explain this? <laughs> they all exploded with knife wounds spontaneously. 
we get this very cool full page spread of the family going snorkeling and oh look at that awesome sea life none of which wants to eat them but that jellyfish oh no mm. mm-hmm. so uh they and they enjoy that they pass by a turtle lloyd folds his arms when they pass by the turtle because he's very unimpressed i guess he's a fucking turtle have some goddamn ah whatever can't argue with some people uh and they keep on going Annie wants to go surfing your gives her a push and pushes her too hard and she goes rocketing across a wave it looks like it was really really fun lloyd snatches her and, and saves her and afterwards of course Annie's like yeah let's do it again because she you know had a really thrilling thing that was safe in the end that's how kids do um and then I is like, yeah, that was so much fun. And of course, it's the end of the day because they've done approximately seven days worth of activities in one day. Uh, and so Lloyd points up that they've got to get back to the ship. And now Yor is tired because they've had all this, uh, you know, draining fun on top of the fact that, oh, yeah, she fought a bunch of assassins last night. Uh, so she's basically just kind of faints and falls asleep on Lloyd's shoulder. And Anya falls asleep, too, so he just has to carry them both back to the boat. Um, and, uh, yeah. I like that uh, for your, it's this very elegant, sweet thing of her just like, oh, I'm so tired, just falls over. For Anya, it's, Papa, I'm asleep, too! And then when you see her face in the shot, it's all crumpled up like a fucking goblin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a precious cherub. <laughs> That's how six-year-olds are. <laughs> so Lloyd just thinks to himself that Yor must have had a really tough couple of days of work. But he just says, rest up, Yor. He takes them back to the boat. And the next time we see them, they've gotten back home. Bond is really, really happy to see Anya again. Uh, and Dimitri is just like, fuck you, Lloyd. Don't make me watch your dog anymore. Even but, though it would help me pick up chicks. Is it Frank? Is it? I thought, I, I thought it was Frankie. I always forget his name. It's fine. It I, could be anything. I think it's Hansel, it's Hansel now. Oh, so okay. Hansel, I thought it was Han Solo, and I was like, well, how are we ever going to know how we got the name Han Solo, Nick? We'd have to, we need an entire movie to establish that. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Han Solo. <laughs> oh, aren't I clever? <laughs> I'm feeling rather poetic today. Normally it's Smith, but you've caught me in a rare creative mood. Hey, kid, you ever tell you how I got the name Solo? Yeah, it's not your name. No, what kind of a name is Solo? My name is Skywalker. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. We're like space wizards, dude. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of weird stuff going on. I, I also- don't know. Is it because you think you're such a cool loner that you named yourself that? No, actually, some random Imperial official gave it to me. <laughs> do you want to know how I got these dice? Like, <laughs> no, because I'm going to do it in the past and the present. Explain how important these dice are. Like, no one gave a shit about your dice. My girlfriend gave them to me. <laughs> did you get like, a, did you buy like a shit ton of dice? Disney and you really needed to sell them you're like how can we sell these fucking dice and somebody was like what if Han Solo had a pair of them and it's fucking on the top of the the Millennium Falcon ever tell you how I learned to speak Shire Shire Wook? I don't know because like Chewie's your oldest friend's like no it was actually just cuz like I just randomly picked it up one day did I ever tell you about the sentience of the Millennium Falcon no. Wait, what? What, are you, what are you talking about? The ship's not sentient. There's something. 
kind of alluding to it in one of the movies if you squint hard anyway we put like a super rebellious robot that lando likes to fuck inside of it you know how we always call the ship girls like yeah like a term of affection that like you know some captains have for this just no no it's actually literal There, there was like a droid that was like really really anti droid slavery and uh Oh man, I've just kind of like not been like living up to her wishes for like ever, have I? We just, I, I've never really done anything about that. Anyway, she didn't like being a slave and we just kind of treated it as like a big joke. But then we you know, acted like we liked her and it was just like one of her affectionate quirks. Anyway, she's part of the Falcon now. And Lando Did fucked her. Canonically <laughs> fucked her, I believe. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about how I made the Kessel run in 12 bar sex? <laughs> What does that mean? That's a unit of distance, not time. Yeah, see, exactly. I We were being chased by a space worm. <laughs> That's the only part of Solo that was actually worth it. I was like, look, all these fucking nerds from the original movies were like, a parsec is a measure of distance, not time. Be like, all right, here's how that's a brag, is they made it into an actual thing where the distance mattered. Everything else, I was like, who gives a shit? Why do we have 20-minute like, scenes explaining this? Did I ever tell you about how I almost had a run-in with the Sith, but then didn't? (laughs) (laughs) I was going to meet Darth Maul. (laughs) But then he decided to just go bug your old man instead. (laughs) When I met him, he didn't have robot legs. (laughs) Or spider legs. Spider legs, sorry. I don't know. I never actually met him. (laughs) Who are you talking about? (laughs) But my girlfriend might have. (laughs) I uh, we're never addressing her again. I know I Did felt. I ever tell you about how I met the superhero Vision? <laughs> I killed him. I also met the Flag Smasher girl. In this, she was also a young upstart with ideals for her group. Um, she didn't die in this one though. She was actually kind of cool, actually. <laughs> oh man, you. <laughs> No wonder Luke's kind of sick of Han's shit by the time that Empire Strikes Back That's that's out. that's why uh, uh, fucking Ben Solo had to kill him. He's like, I can't fucking put up with another one of Dad's stupid fucking stories. Did I ever tell you why I wore a vest? Like, no, that'd be a stupid thing to make an entire movie to explain. He's like, well, then I you shouldn't watch Black Widow because half the movie is explaining why she wore a vest in Infinity War. It's like, no one gave a shit about this. Why did you make a whole movie? Oh, man. Did I ever tell you how I, how I beat Lando's? Actually, I would like to hear that. That's fine. That <laughs> <laughs> oh, was a game or something. Anyway, the dice, though. <laughs> I don't really know how the game worked, but uh, we both cheated. So <laughs> <laughs> It was really a game to see who could cheat more without being caught. <laughs> okay, but, like, how did you choose? Like, not important. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what series were we on <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop. I was like, we didn't jump to Eden Zero, and that's how we got on this, do we? I guess it would be more appropriate to get on that track. Lloyd's back at work. Um, he hears about some of the details from stuff that happened on the ship, but of course, they don't know everything. Because uh, hence, Yor is just not immediately found out. Uh, the the information broker is like, hey, aside from the whole bomb thing, how's your family vacation go? And Lloyd says, it was a grueling ordeal. Way more work than my mission. 
Uh, and she says to herself, sometimes I can't tell if that man is highly capable or completely incompetent. That's the joke of his character throughout the entire series. Uh, we then cut back. Yor and Anya are still very tired from their trip. Yor is sleeping on the couch. Anya has fallen asleep at the table. Bond is curled up next to her, and she's been drawing a picture of their trip, I think. Yeah, it's them on the boat. So <laughs> I can't really tell for sure. Uh, despite the fact that I think we made jokes about Star Wars longer than we talked about the actual chapter, I did actually enjoy this chapter quite a lot. Uh, it was a very nice, like, calm, come-down chapter after sort of the big suspense that was the boat arc where there was a lot of fighting and a lot of blood and all that and it was just very cute to have an entire chapter of the spy family being the family this time yeah um i like them having their little adventures and seeing the different personalities you know as mentioned like your being kind of clumsy anya being very excitable i we didn't talk about it but the shot where they're swimming and lloyd is just floating with his arms crossed in the water oh okay yeah. sorry I mentioned that, but we didn't talk about it at the time. Sorry. Which, yeah. I, was, I, was I was busy. even swimming at that moment. Just... <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just like... That's how, you, that's how you sink. Yeah. <laughs> I just like the little personality that you get to see from all the characters and seeing them have fun. It was nice. It was very nice. Uh, yeah, just a nice little fluffy chapter to finish the very action-packed story arc with. So. Absolutely. All right. Speaking of the ends of story arcs. <laughs> yes. Uh, Let's talk about Eaton Zero Neck, Chapter 168, The Sea of Stars. And there's no uh, like title page image this week. And instead, it's this time the Eaton Zero ship sailing through the Owl Cosmos with little fishies swimming all around. Uh, I need to raise a point before okay. we get too far into this. Crunchyroll. Yes. You've been doing manga for a long time now. Make sure that if a page is supposed to be on the left side... It's on the left side, and if it's supposed to be on the right side, it's on the right side. I don't care that this is the first page of the chapter, and so it should line up with with page one. Put a blank page for page one so that every time there's a two-page spread, you don't cut it in half. Oh, did they do that? <laughs> All throughout this chapter. So the big two-page spread at the end with the, the lanterns is broken up onto two yes. different... Oof. All right, yeah. That could be pretty bad. Well, I'm sorry about that, buddy. Uh, so we open aboard uh, the, I don't know, a ship, as the Interstellar Union Army is having their prayer council. And we open with Holy saying, oh, Jaguar is dead, and poor little Creed from Justice's team. And uh, Justice is like, they're not the only ones. The lives we lost in the battle exceeds 1,000. Cure. Just 1,000? <laughs> yeah. A giant interplanetary battle <laughs> just uh, exceeds a thousand now what he might have meant it was 200 million were killed but it exceeded 1000 it's technically true <laughs> it just doesn't scale particularly well how do i remove some of the impact from <laughs> how do i twist the statistics in my favor it exceeded like a thousand <laughs> like by a lot a decent amount. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, as long as it was just in the ballpark of a thousand, then is it like, oh man, I hope they don't realize that I mean a thousand in millions. <laughs> <laughs> but still, honestly, would not be that high. <laughs> a planet blew up. Yeah. 
Well, that's just innocent civilians. We don't care about their lives. <laughs> the lives that are lost of their side, I presume, only a thousand. <laughs> really, they came out of it okay. Maybe Hero just has a really bad sense of scale. <laughs> Someone asked just... Hero, they're like, how many people do you think live on the planet? And he was like, oh, oh, he's like, a hundred. No, two hundred. <laughs> <laughs> And 70% of them are women with big boobs. <laughs> so, Hero, uh, you're you're going to talk about, like, the expense that's going to be paid in order to rebuild this army. What are we talking here? It's like, oh, it's got to be, like, a million dollars. Really? It's a million dollars. Uh... Oh, lower? Yeah. Sorry, 40000 <laughs> $30. <laughs> it starts really short-changing them. <laughs> well, we managed to buff out one dent in one ship <laughs> send him back out uh so we go over to cure who is a character i forgot existed and cure is like but you defeated emperor nero you defeated the empire let us offer a prayer for our allies who have joined the stars and feather who i guess is supposed to be quiet says there are four left in the Eurasian six galactica and i stop i'll take your word for it wait i, I, I wait Draken Joe <laughs> was one, right? Yes. Okay, so Poseidon Nero was the other. Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Then we yes. we, okay. we, we address that. that well, here's the thing. When I first read it, I was like, that's not right. There should be five left. Because I, I said, I was like, weren't there six members? And I was like, only Jaguar died. And then I get to the next page and I'm like, God damn it. They're not talking about their own fucking group. They're talking about the other group who are also named the Eurasian Six. So I was like, ah. Um, Holy says, like, this is a change. Feather's talking and Eraser is keeping quiet. And Eraser says, I just got back from that battle. All those lives lost. Cut me some slack. And Holy says, don't you mean they were erased? Which is her problem. (laughs) It's such a weirdly cold thing to say to a man who just murdered countless people. Well, again, maybe it was only in excess of thousands. Maybe maybe it wasn't even as many as he thought, but... (laughs) Uh, that'd be really weird like all these people with their weird quirks so that they can't talk like humans and then there's just one person who's like i literally erase people's existences (laughs) and i have to just live with that weight on my shoulders all the time and all these people are too fucking eccentric to understand (laughs) that when fucking justice says over a thousand he means over a thousand billion people (laughs) Like, he's clearly just like, hey, cut me some slack. I'm not really here to talk because I'm really mortified by the amount of lives that were lost during that mission. She's like, "Mm, but I'm not going to miss an opportunity for a pun at your expense, though. (laughs) I got a a gimmick. I'm going to do it. Uh, I'll be sure not to erase my hand when you high five it like you erased all those souls. (laughs) He just starts uh, crying. <laughs> She's like, I guess he's the silent one. Am I right? Bum, bum, bum. You get it? Because your name is Silence. And he's crying like a little bitch because he killed a bunch of people. What? Everyone's like, Holy, I think you should stop coming to these meetings. <laughs> You're very mean. Uh, they continue their conversation by saying, There's also the private queen, Elsie. Uh, no one gives a shit about her. <laughs> She's not a significant threat. She almost shouldn't have been in the group. 
to the point where uh, probably that like she doesn't really hurt civilians at this point. Uh, yeah, they, I, bet, I mean, I bet if she had come across Ziggy, she would have just like fucking turned around and left him there. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, Justice feels particularly uh, wounded by that, being like, "What are you saying?" They're like, "Look, we're just saying like the other three are much more important." She just seems to like being powerful. Who gives a shit? So we are teased to the three other members of the Eurasian Six Galactica. Dead End Crow, the Titan of Eternal Darkness. Which, this is an awkward thing. Because mm-hmm. at that very moment after he's introduced, we cut to Holy. Yes. And then cut to the other two so in, in, in a row. Maybe saying that Holy has some significance with this character. I don't know. That's the only reason I could think of to do that. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just like breaking up the way that they're introduced. Yeah. For no reason. So. I was kind of hoping his name would be Bradman, so that character could return. But then I was like, it'd be weird if you brought another character from Fairy Tale back into this series so soon. Certainly, he won't do that. So then we get Archfire Saint Fire, uh, Archbishop Saint Fire Knox, and the God of Dragons. Acnoelia. Oh my god, I didn't even re- realize that. <laughs> yeah, or I was like the first time I read it, I was like, I don't like. Can you try to make it at least slightly different when you introduce the god of all dragons? Sure, this one's a girl. <laughs> yeah, this one will have big boobs, a giant <laughs> rack, <laughs> big old cans. <laughs> okay. Uh, they oh, continue. Yeah. Their fight won't end until they eliminate all six of them. May our secret powers be priests of the universe. Boop. We cut over. Justice goes to hang out with his other crew members. I don't remember this guy's name. The one who's not dead is just like, hey, you didn't bring up Ziggy in the meeting. They're like, yeah, that's against regulations. And Which like, makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, but it was definitely Nero's dice that killed Captain Jaguar. He had specific dice-shaped wounds all over his face. <laughs> he did. <laughs> uh, but it wasn't Captain. It wasn't the captain that gave Nero his wounds. So Ziggy had to be there. And they're like, yeah, the only possible way to beat Captain Jaguar is if they fought him together. Like, I don't know. His power was to turn into a big cat. See, <laughs> I don't know if they really worked together that much to defeat him. I mean, he got distracted by one of them, and then the dice went through his skull. Yeah. I mean, so. <laughs> what was he going to do, though? He's like, I'll block that with my cat hand. I don't know. It seemed to work out for him whenever he was taking out Ziggy's, whatever they were called, yeah. his elite soldier things. Well, so. he didn't realize the secret is you could just crunch them really hard, because... <laughs> They're immune to magic until oh, they're not. <laughs> damn it! I made them out of, I made them entirely out of, of soda cans. I thought that that would be really sturdy. <laughs> um, person whose name I don't remember says, "I want to talk about Creed," and we cut to a flashback of when so Jesse returned. So great! <laughs> and Justice is like, "What? Creed is dead." And Creed says, uh, "Jesse says it was the Eden Zeros. They shot him." And as if on cue. Uh, a navigator on the consoles is just like, sir, a transport pod is approaching with a signal from the Eden Zero. They say we're returning your friend's dead body. And they're like, oh no, that's Creed. And Justice is like, what are you plotting, Eden Zero? And Jesse flees from the scene. He's like, oh, it might be a track. I have to go check. <laughs> and he runs up there. He's like, shit, shit, shit. It has all the details of your friend's still at death. And he's like, I have to delete all this. I have to delete it. So... I know that the reason for this is so that Justice and company 
will think that Ian Zero have killed their ally and have reason to consider them enemies. I understand that. I don't know what we're supposed to feel about the character Jesse because he's kind of just a lame little shit. <laughs> what I what I love is like the first like when he actually killed Creed, it was meant to be like a nervous kid who panicked and accidentally fired. Like it was supposed to be a scene that could have been talked down, but this kid panicked and fired and now he is panicking in return. But because Hero isn't that good at drawing emotions, it's the same emotion a mad scientist character has, basically. He's just like, I, I have to delete those little fucks! How dare they send my friend's body back to the ship? No one can find out what I've done. Like, I want him to now just become the most evil, unfucking likable character in this series. If this guy ever sticks his tongue out, we'll know that, you know, he's... <laughs> yeah. Because I don't think that we're supposed to have any sense of, like, tragedy for this guy. Um, it's He's... He's just a tool of the plot to, yes. you know, turn other characters against each other. And then you can hate dump him for it later. Mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't seem to have any character beyond that. Yeah. Remember when he was introduced? No, you don't. So <laughs> <laughs> he showed up with with uh, with Creed and they were there. Yes. And that's it. So. <laughs> uh, so person who's not Creed is like, why would they return the body? Justice theorizes that they wanted to make an example of him. But other guy says, that doesn't make sense. You make an example when you want like to keep people in a state of fear, and then it's better to kill them violently. But Creed died from a single gunshot in the middle of war. And it's like, well, you know, what are you trying to say? And they're like, I'm saying I'm not really sure they killed him. But Jesse says he did. And I do like that this guy's the only one who's like, Jesse doesn't probably remember things right. So... Like, that doesn't really serve as a justification. And just like, nope, I'm taking his word for it. <laughs> doesn't change the fact that Creed's dead, so we're going to go off the idea that Creed was killed by a single gunshot by a person who famously uses swords. Speaking of which. <laughs> um, he vows vengeance, basically being like, oh, we'll go after Homura because... Uh, well, like, he, he doesn't know it's Homura when yeah. he swears vengeance. Yes, he's, he's like, I will... I will go, like, McCreed went with me this entire time. This is a person who wanted to change the world, which is a weird thing to say when you're in a galactic scale. You would presumably use the word universe or galaxy or something like that. You've been to, like, seven worlds recently. Um, but, hey, again, Listen, a thousand lives. just over a thousand people died a day. <laughs> so. Uh, and he's like, ah, I will swear vengeance on whoever killed him. And then Jesse, like, peeks his head and he's like, it was, it was Hamora. Hamora killed him. She's in league with Elsie and she's the daughter of Madame Kerr and I. She seduced Creed and then killed him. And Which uh, is the only part of this whole thing that I do kind of like because I can actually believe that Jesse has convinced himself that that's actually what happened. Uh -huh. Like, that's not it. Like, he's just being, you know, a tool for the plot and being a, to be a later hate-seeing character. But I could believe that he saw the way things transpired and was like, oh, well, she tempted Creed and she's the reason he's dead. Yeah. She seduced and killed him. That's not the way it's going to turn out why he said this. But <laughs> <laughs> I can rewrite this scene in my head so that it makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to Sandra, the planet of sand, uh, the planet Sandra, uh, where everyone's kind of talking about, like, 
uh, essentially that they just made that pod that they sent off with Creed's body in it. And uh, Cheeky asked some more, why did you send them back to the Union Army and not uh, your home planet? And uh, Hamora answers, which said everyone a ship is family. So I thought we had best return Seiji to his family. Yes, his family of justice, other guy, and the person who killed him, his best friends. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, Goodwin shows up and says, family, eh? And towers above them. And Shiki says, hey, giant cat dude, which I like. He doesn't remember his name, but he says that identifier and everyone knows who he's talking about. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, they note that's Rebecca. The most we've ever, that's some of the most that you and I have ever related to Shiki. Yeah, I was like, hey, giant cat dude. <laughs> uh, they note that Rebecca is fine. She's slowly recovering. The wounds on her face are starting to go away. So she'll probably be fine. Sisters with her and all that. And they're just like, oh, did you guys lose a friend, too? And they're like, yeah, we lost a lot of friends. And Goodwin says, well, today we're adding a send-off for everyone who joined the stars. Here in the Owl Cosmos, when someone dies, we say that they went home to the Sea of Stars. And, of course, that goes for bots with hearts, too. So we light a fire in these lamps to represent their life, and then we send them to the Sea of Stars with our love. And we get a scene of uh, different characters lighting these lanterns and releasing them up into the air. And then we get this big two page spread of all the people of Sandra looking into the air as these lanterns are thrown up into the sky. It's a rare, quiet, reflective moment from a Mashima hero series. Like four straight pages of just like watching stuff, watching the lanterns float mm-hmm. up, watching people's emotional faces as they all just kind of silently reflect. And Hey, Laguna cries. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, I have no idea what Wise's response to that is, because we see Laguna cry, we see Wise look at him doing it, and then the next panel is Wise powdily looking forward? Yeah. yeah. I was like, uh, alright. Uh, what amuses me is uh, there is uh, a lot of times people say Hero is copying One Piece. Uh, there's a cynical part of me that thinks Hero got this scene out now, because I'm almost... A hundred percent certain Wano is going to end with a scene almost exactly <laughs> like this, and everyone is going to like all the hero fans are gonna be like, Oh, this copy hero ah, now. Sh- yeah, look, ah <laughs> Mind you, the idea of like ceremonially releasing a bunch of lanterns is a thing that exists culturally and has been used in a ton of movies throughout time, but I, I there is definitely a moment where I was like, it was good timing to get this out now before One Piece had the chance to do this scene. Um, um. A- and then the chapter ends with Shiki saying they go home to the Sea of Stars, which regret Eden's mother will never forget you. You'll always be in our hearts. Yeah, he seems to have gotten a little bit more closure after this, which uh-huh. is nice. So, um, yeah, the end of the chapter, actually, quite sincerely, very nice. I did appreciate it. Uh, the beginning of the chapter, typical hero villain group bullshit. <laughs> and the middle of the chapter is hilarious because of of jesse being such a weirdo i just love him fleeing it might be a trap i'll go check and and no one like that was weird right (laughs) like that was really weird that he he ran out first and none of us will follow up it's such a weird thing whenever a character acts so obvious and then just keeps getting away with it it's just like can you like at least make it believable that they got away with this (laughs) All right, Nick, let's talk about the big news series. Yes, this is 
Ayashiman, Chapter 1 by Yuji Kaku, uh, whose other series uh, we are currently reading right now. So we uh, start this off with uh, a a funeral for a Yakuza boss, who it turns out was also an Ayashiman, a monster. And uh, all of the different members of the criminal underworld reveal themselves to be various different monsters, uh, with all different shapes and sizes to them. And uh, they have to sort out now what to do about this this power vacuum in the criminal and literal underworld. But enough about that shit. Let's get to our shitty protagonist. I don't like him. And I'm going to say that up front and then very often throughout this chapter. All right. His name is Maruo. And uh, he has shark teeth. And he's super strong. He's so strong that nobody likes him because he wants to train with people and he keeps busting up their equipment. And uh, so he tries to, like, join a boxing gym and they're like, go away, go join the sumo club. And he breaks up their equipment. They're like, go away. Uh, And uh, then he tries to cook and he beats up the food and all of the other stuff that you use to make food. And they're like, get out of here. So he goes and he pouts by himself. A random guy decides to pick on him and punches him, and it doesn't hurt him at all because he's so strong. And then he just kind of, like, taps the guy on the shoulder, which breaks his collarbone, makes the guy collapse in pain. And everyone's like, wait a minute, this guy's Maruo Kaido. Every thug in town fears him. Rumor has it he beat up a whole school by himself, and he can throw cars around. Think he looked like some rando loser. He does look like a rando loser. Yeah. So, uh, they're like, how do you... Wait, how do you throw cars? And he's just like, what? You just heave them. Hey. Just chuck them. Yeah, just chuck them. Yeah. So then he says, you wouldn't happen to know any battle places that are hiring, would you? And the bully says, bro, those don't exist. So Mario says, really, man? What if, like, a young girl is getting chased by a bunch of big, scary-looking toughs? You know, the kind I could beat up and nobody to complain. At that moment, a young girl is being chased by a bunch of big, scary-looking toughs, the kind that he could beat up and nobody would complain about. So he asks if there's a job where he could do that. Said girl shows up. She's wearing a kimono and is um, running, I'm sure, very quickly away from these guys because, you know, any any type of thing that is tight on you all the way down to your ankles would definitely let you run quickly. Eh, she's a demon. Whatever. So, uh, Maro spots this. He gets in the way. Guys start to beat him up. He punches one and sends him flying into a tree. The rest of them try to beat him up. He beats all of them up. And the girl is shocked. And uh, Maro just thinks to himself, Oh, man, not only did that not earn me any money, it wasn't even a good fight. Is being strong pointless? And the girl says, Hey, you, come with me. We're going to run away now. Uh, And so they start to run. And then the boss of the of the guy shows up. He is wearing a pinstripe shirt and a, and a white jacket. And he's got streaks in his hair, which means that he has main character energy. He does. He's got that scarf, that thin little scarf. Mm-hmm. But he says that he has, quote, the girl's scent. So they'll easily be able to track them down. Uh, so the bullies that Maro beat up before are watching all this. And are uh, like, oh my god, real Yakuza. The head Yakuza goes, Uwan! I don't know why he goes, does that noise exactly. But then he turns and his face is all scrunched up around his eyes and really, really 
big around his mouth because, oh, he's a Nayashimon. He's a demon guy. Big, scary-looking mouth. And he's like, go away. Well, he actually says, what you staring at, punk? But whatever. Uh, so, Maruo, uh now has time to catch up with the girl that he, quote-unquote, rescued. And she is amused by this and says, you knocked them all out in one hit, which means you have promise. I'm Urara, and I want you to work for me. Uh, it's not a job, per se, but I want you to accept the Sakazuki Sake Cup. And Maruo knows that this means that it is, she's basically asking uh, him to be her Yakuza underling. And he is dismayed by this, because he doesn't want to be a criminal, I guess? Mm. I guess? I guess. Um, and she introduced herself as a fully-fledged gang boss. Uh, and Mara was like, I don't want to join the Yakuza. And uh, Urara says, oh, what a waste. Your ugly mug, the stupidity seeping from your every word. You'd make a perfect Yakuza. To which he responds by punching the wall hard and leaving a dent in it. And Urara's like, also, you're strong. And Maro says, oh, you didn't flinch when I beat up that very, very hard to hit wall. You're the real deal then. I'm not going to be a, a Yakuza, though. I know what I want to be. I want to be a manga protagonist. And Urara's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he's like, you know, like Goku or Kiniku Man or Jotaro. And I've always wanted to be like them. So when I was little, I would do the training that they did in the manga. And we see little, little kid punching a rock. And oh man, he breaks up his plan. His how, how do you do it that badly though? Like he punched the rock and his fingers are like bent backwards and shit like that. Clearly he was always strong, you know, like all interesting characters are. So <laughs> Maruo goes on to explain that he kept on training and training until he was super duper strong. He could split boulders at the age of seven. And Nura was like, are you kidding me? But then Maruo is like, but then, and we see that he would try to join clubs and everyone would tell him like, no one has any use for a monster like you. So Maruo says, for a normal person making a normal life, strength isn't necessary. A manga is just a manga. So I'm done with all that. Sorry, but look somewhere else. And Urara's like, wait a minute, did you just say you're human? And Maruo's like, yeah, what the hell else would I be? Uh... And Arara basically is going to say, just says, I thought you were one of us. As a whole bunch of other Ayashiman Yakuza uh, are crouching down on the wall above them, which is cool visual. Mm -hmm. uh, they ambush them. Uh, and Arara's like, wait a minute, I thought they were just like regular Yakuza dudes. But it turns out they're all demon Ayashiman guys. And all of them start to transform as uh, the lead one introduces all of them and the other growing like big eyes and taking on really contorted appearances. Uh, one of them has like a dinosaur head. These are all things I don't recognize because I don't know enough about Japanese folklore to identify them. I'm uh, sure I fought all these things in a Persona game at some point. Look, there's the <laughs> penis chariot in the background right there. <laughs> um, Urara says that Killing humans outside of a feeding zone goes against the Accord. Uh, but the lead Yakuza Ayashima just says, yeah, but who'd be in this line of work if they were scared of some Accord? So, you know, there's honor among thieves, but we choose not to have it. 
okay. So uh, they're like, yeah, uh, we got to keep the girl alive for our goals, but, you know, let's kill the kid. Uh, there is uh, a scissor demon, uh, Amikiri, that's going to slice them up. And then that guy's going to swallow you. And then that guy's going to burn you. Hey, it's all these Japanese Zayashiman spirit things. Kill him. Yeah. Uh, Urara then says, Oh, how the great Enma syndicate has fallen. A tepid pickup line like that barely even counts as flattery. I don't know what the fuck that even is referring to. If you're truly the Yakuza, then show some guts that will put me in my place. Punks. Well, she calls them weak, useless, slow, stupid punks, but she ends on punks. So, uh, the lead Yakuza demon says, you mouthy little shit, which is not a word I see very often, but he uses it. There you go. It's uh, like when I, I remember, uh, I worked at Target Electronics and there was a guy who was like buying a game for his son and his son was there with him and he would just i don't i've never heard like i know people use it but I was, he was like all right that game costs 50 dollars. do you have the scratch for that and <laughs> yeah. i was and i was like i've and he said it like three more times like you got the scratch i was like i've never heard somebody it's like you came from the 1920s like ah take it on the archers there kid you got the scratch for those numbers <laughs> we're tripping biscuits over here <laughs> oh boy so uh, Maruo butts in at that point and says, wait, no, I can't take it. Don't get my hopes up any higher, which confuses Arara. At that moment, Onigama, a frog demon guy, uh, uses his tongue to punch Maruo in the face. I don't know. Whatever uh-huh. kind of attack you do with the, with, the, with the tongue. It's it's a known thing. Frogs can punch people with their tongues. Uh, I didn't... I can't recall of a Looney Tune episode where it happened specifically, but I'm sure it happened in a Looney Tune episode. Well, yeah, yes. you know, the one that introduces Michigan J. Frog, where the yeah. guy, you know, is trying to get him to sing for people, and then eventually Michigan just gets the commission and just punches him with his tongue. <laughs> yeah, eventually someone catches him, and he's like, uh-oh, and he's like, you gotta think of a way out of this, Michigan, and he punches him in the face and knocks him out and runs away, and then he comes back into the scene to take their wallet and then leaves again. That was like his comedy bit back then. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Maro thinks to himself as he sent flying through the air, I idolize manga characters. Like, Kenshiro's scars look so cool, and it's not just him. Every manga protagonist looks super cool when they're bandaged up and stuff. When I get beat up, I want to look like that. I want to be that cool. And if I'm a manga protagonist, then nobody will laugh at me for being hurt. And apparently this is drawing on some sort of real-life circumstance that he had where he would get beaten up at school and then people would laugh at him. And in the final chapter, I'll fight the big bad who beat me up, and I'll beat him up instead. Uh, He had an abusive father. Holy shit. It's very explicit. Um, (laughs) um, He is sent flying into a car in the present, but that just makes him think about the time that he rose up against his dad and with his super strength beat the shit out of him. And instead of having some form of, you know, closure or anything, he was just like, he was so weak. Stupid excuse for a crappy dad. He ruined it. This was so lame. It can't be the final chapter. I don't feel better at all. What did I do all that training for? This isn't what you promised me, Kenshiro and Jotaro. Uh, and then he beat up bullies. And then he beat up an entire school of bullies. And he's just like, I'm just not having fun. Damn it! Somebody give me a real fight! Uh! 
uh, in the present, uh, he did actually get hit really hard, which means he's like, oh my god, I actually feel pain again. This will be an actual fight. He lifts up a car and throws it, because he can do that, as established earlier in the chapter. Throws the car, uh, and then points at people and is like, oh my god, you guys are big, strong, scary monsters. Is it me, or do I look like a manga protagonist right now? And was just like, what the fuck is wrong with this kid? Let's kill him. Um, they set up for a one-on-one, which involves ceremonial drums and everyone forming into like a row on a, leading up between him and the boss demon guy. Can I and, also point out that one dude is just a big nose? Yeah. <laughs> it's just one dude is just all nose. I was yeah, like, when did my brother get into this manga? <laughs> Bam. Roasted. Take that. Uh... He turns into, like, his full, evil, super awesome, uh, bulgy form, Yokai Uan, who says, I hereby challenge thee man-to-man to a battle of guts, a battle of souls. Oh, no, wait. Yokai Uan, I think, might be the, the... Maybe it's his name, or maybe it's the name of the battle. I don't know. Mario gets excited, and he's like, well, let me bring out one of my special moves, too. My version of the Kamehameha, which involves him putting his hands together like he's going to do a Kamehameha, and then he just uppercuts the head, so the guy's head off. It's pretty awesome. You could say that. <laughs> so, um, everyone is like, holy shit, he just punched off that guy's head. Let's get him. And so they all start attacking Maro at once, and he beats them all up while he's got a big grin on his face, and eventually he just beats them all. And then he's like, oh, hey, girl. Uh, yeah, I'll accept your Sakazuki cup if this, because now I know that this is the only way that I can possibly live. This is the only thrill I get out of life. So, Gerar forms a blood pact with him by wiping some blood off his face in order to drink it, while also pricking her finger so she can, he can drink some of her blood. A blood pact is made. Hey, he is her servant, kind of, now. And, uh, he is to refer to her as elder sister, you know, Yakuza style. So... There, she says that she's going to take him now to outside the civilian world, where all Ayashiman from across Japan gather the number one Red Lantern district in East Shinjuku's Kabukicho. There, spirits and monsters wear the faces of humans to deceive, extort, and devour, and any beef between the denizens there is settled by a one-on-one ritual duel. And one day, I'm going to rule that district. And she starts to give a b- big backstory thing, and Maru just goes, ah, da, 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 da. Say what you just said again. We, 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 what part? The stuff about beefs. Yeah, they're settled in run-on-one ritual duels. And she has to repeat that for him several times because he's so happy to hear about it. He's like, yeah, duels! And that's the end of the chapter. So I'm going to go out on a limb say Nick loved this series. Oh. I like the presentation of it. I think that it leaves a really strong impact in all the moments that it's meant to have a strong impact. When the demons transform, when you first spot them all up on the wall, when you see him delivering his big blows and lifting up the car and stuff, it's well drawn. And it's, you know, every part of it that it feels like this is the part of the story where something big happens, it feels like a big thing happens. I am convinced that this is probably going to do pretty well especially because rumors are out there are saying that apparently the online viewing stats in Japan are very good. Uh, fucking hate Maruo. <laughs> like this fucking meta commentary, boring, overpowered protagonist bullshit. I didn't like Yuji 
in Jujutsu Kaisen, if you'll recall. And this guy is way, way worse. There is nothing charming about him. He is boringly overpowered. And he just keeps on fucking talking about other better manga characters. It is always a little amusing when you have a character self-reference manga a lot because you you run the chance of not being anywhere near as classic as those series so it, it does become a lot more amusing in uh in retrospect of like hey remember like all those classic characters like Goku and Jotaro and the dude from Ayashimon like who knows if it's going to anywhere reach that level of uh uh pantheon now I I will say I like this chapter I think a good bit more new I don't love it like, this isn't my chapter of the week or anything. Um, I think it's too early for me to say too much on how strong he is or things like that. I mean, it could just be he's the one strong dude as a human. And when he gets to the the yokai world, there's, you know, there's stronger shit over there. Um, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it the benefit of the doubt and kind of go along with it for right now. I'm not in love with it, um, but I did have mild fun over how dumb of a main character he is at times. Like... I don't know why I did kind of laugh when he's just like, all beefs settled by ritual duels. All beefs. Yes, all beefs. Settled by ritual duels. Yes. Like, he's just a fucking idiot. He's the only thing he has excitement for in his life. I, I do appreciate Urara's energy where she's like, yeah, I'm the, like, actually important character who's got plans and stuff, but I'm stuck with this idiot now, and I am fully aware that he's a giant idiot, but yeah. I'm going to use him, so. Yep. All right. Nick, stop it, Magachan. Magachan, because Red Hood God, is gone. Yeah, Red Hood Tinker. is gone. When what? But when one, you know, when one door closes, another opens, and we're now we've now got a Ayashiman. So maybe uh, this one will also have a main character fire a book shaped gun, or a, <laughs> or a gun shaped book, I should say rather. I somehow don't believe that Maroo actually reads books. So manga, he does. It's not books. How dare you? I go oh, to yeah. if I want to read if I want to read chapters on my phone, Nick. I have to open up the books app. I don't. I open up the Shonen Jump app. Well, I read I I read stuff that's not Shonen Jump too. All right, if Shonen oh. Jump had Meruko Chan and shit like that, I'd read it there. But they don't. Because they're cowards. I mean, I'm sure it's more licensing issues than anything. Yeah. But they're cowards. <laughs> Why doesn't why doesn't Shonen Jump the Shonen Jump app have a fairy tale? In it? Why is it Vinland Saga on Shonen Jump? I shout to the ether. I could just get this in all the free sites and not yeah. have to deal with this. Fucking hate anime fans. <laughs> Man, there was a period of time if you typed manga into the iPhone store, the first things you would get were the anime pirate website apps, Absolutely. and you were like, "How is this the first thing?" This was after oh. the jump site was uh, app was out. Yeah, yeah. Poor Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Magu-chan got a destruction. Chapter 67. What are the gods seeing when they laugh? Ooh, what a riddle. Uh, big cool color page uh, with uh, all of the uh, divine beings on it, including the new unranked beings. Uh, at Ruru's house, Ruru challenges Magu to a game of let's try, let's play try not to laugh. If you laugh, you lose. And she makes her a really weird, gross face by pressing her hands to her face and stuff. And Magu's just like, 
what is the lowly human doing? And then he kind of mimics her and presses his hands into his head and it makes his eye go down his face, which we finds hysterical and his eye stays down there, which is pretty, pretty weird. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Magu just knows that he won, which is all he cares about. Cause no lowly human days to <laughs> Like he knows what he's done. But then at this, this prompts Ruru to go, you know, you like never laugh. Maku-chan. Uh, and she's like, hey, you know, I want to like send us send a photo to my mom. Let's take a selfie together. But you got like a smile and stuff. Come on, give it a try. So Magu's like, bah! it's, you know, not very happy. Laughing, basically. Mm-hmm. So rude d- d- is determined to make Magu-chan laugh. So the next day when they are at the occult study club afterwards, uh, they're planning to figure out what to do. Uh, and, uh, uh, so Yuika is up first and she's like, I'll use Unisuke. And then he, anyone stabbed by him can't hold back their feelings. And then I'll tickle him afterwards, which is an interesting plan. But when she, you know, tickles him, it doesn't work because he is a blob of octopus God. So you can't really expect anything you do to him physically to have the reaction you expect. Then Magu does it back to her, saying, Have a taste of your own torture method! And Yuka is very ticklish, so that backfired. Oneris shows up. She's got a fake nose and glasses on because it's, it's we're going to make Magu laugh. And so comedy references and, uh, and um, uh, she makes a, she makes a, a, a bilingual joke. Uh-huh. What do Nadi Maguchan and a textbook human have in common? They're both bound by rules. Rules. See. What I appreciate is that now she's coming in halfway through the chapter to Just make it on. worse, and then leaving so the chapter has time to get better. Now she's changing up the way she she does things. Is what I'm yes. appreciating. Um, Magu asks, why are you getting involved? And Nunera's just like, because it would be hot. I don't know. But she says something about, be, yeah, yeah, be, she does a new, she says a Nunera's line. A- imagine what Nunera's would say after Magu asks why she's getting involved and wanting to make him laugh. And that is what she says. Anyway, um, then she brings up that they need Ren's straight man energy in that moment. And Rue is like, I do feel better when Ren's around because she likes her friends. Uh, as for who else could play the straight man comedian, that would be Lord Moo. And Moo, of course, has been spying on them this whole time because he has nothing better to do with his life. So he's like, who are you calling a comedian? And yeah, that he, you know, he's, he's really upset about this. He's like, why are you trying to get the god of destruction to smile and stuff? Uh, and so they're like, why don't you give it a try? And so Moo just says... You just need to see his smile, right? So emotion has no part in it. So if you do this to his face, it'll look like a smile. And it looks really, really creepy and unnatural, of course, because it's, you know, just like. Yeah, it's very unnerving. Looks looks sinister. So (laughs) then the Pudaku shows. I want this panel to be cut 
and pasted and put into every fucking chapter of every series from now on. Every week, that's just the point where Nputaku shows up and it just says, Look like it's my turn! And everyone goes, Nputaku! Yeah, it's really like a sitcom. Again, I, I appreciate this chapter did something different. Usually, Nputaku shows up early on, helps the joke get better, then Anera shows up and ruins it. This time, Anera shows up, fucks it all up, and then Nputaku comes in to help save the chapter. And he fucking does. Look at him, this little, this little fucking angel. <laughs> So he says, I came by because the boy would not teach me to cook. <laughs> I know I had nothing better to do. <laughs> but let me tell you that making Magmanuic laugh will be impossible for you lot. As the master of madness, mind control is a specialty of mine. And Magu says, what can one such as the likes of you do? And Abutaku sinisterly takes out a bento and says... <laughs> When you eat tasty food, it's totally natural that a smile of sheer joy will break out on your face. Look at this little fucking prince. I want to put a crown on him right there. He's so good. He's so happy. Look at his face. He's blushing. He's so happy. Ruru calls him what a good boy, and she is correct. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like, all right, here's some mayonnaise on your fried chicken. Eat up, Magmanuik. And Magu just says, these clots of meat have become the pinnacle of immorality, having been enveloped in rancid fats and oils. And Nabutaku's just like, that makes it sound bad! Shut up! <laughs> um, Uneris has another idea, which is to turn the wonderful fried chicken into a laughing mushroom, uh, and then they force-feed it to Magu, but it just causes him to, you know, take on its form, as he normally does with Lost of Eats. So he sprouts a bunch of laughing mushrooms on his head, which start, uh, you know, spraying out freaking uh, spores everywhere, which causes everyone to start laughing. And Magu's just like, this fungus thinks it can do as it pleases? I shall eradicate it! Which means he plucks them off of his head and starts eating them. Which <laughs> I was like, one that make more, and I was like, you know what? Let's not worry about that. Uh, he just gets set to explode, so uh, Gula hammer throws him outside so that he doesn't blow up the school, and uh, then it spreads laughing spores everywhere, which means everyone is all nice and happy, except for Moo, who's just like, what the fuck is this? Why is everyone happy? I hate this. I hate everything and everyone. So they start going home, Ruru and Magu do. And Maru just says, you know, I do wish that you'd smiled a little bit. But Magu says, my flesh has no such function. I do not even comprehend the very emotion that is smiling. Uh, but Maru's like, well, you feel happiness and sadness, don't you? And Magu says, perhaps I will smile when I have the entire world under my <laughs> But uh, Ruru's like, hey, it doesn't have to be for something big. And then she spots something and takes Magu's hand. And they look up at the sunset. She says, this is a great sunset. Isn't it pretty? Let's take a photo. And she can't seem to get a good shot of of it. But Magu is observing her, observing the sunset, and says, You smile often. The setting sun is surely something you have witnessed countless times already. If this is enough to bring you joy, then surely there is no value in smiling. And Ruru says, that's not how it works. There have been times when I've looked at the setting sun and cried, too. When I eat a good meal, or the weather's nice, maybe that's not enough, but because I'm seeing the sky with you, Magu-chan, I'm happy just the way things are. There's this nice, full-page spread of her just standing there on the pier, looking out at the sunset, and then 
Magu looks at her while she's smiling, looking at the sun. And his eye just kind of twitches up a little bit in a genuine smile. And so Ruru takes a picture of it. And Magu's like, why'd you take a picture? And Ruru says, you were smiling. Give me your phone. I'm going to destroy it. (laughs) No one can know I look so uncool. Um, and uh, then she manages to get another shot of the two of them together. It's a very nice little picture of them taking a selfie. So, What I think is a big issue. When she takes the picture, it specifically says flash. It's still too much sunlight out for you to be using flash at that point. You're actually going to overexpose the shot. So <laughs> Ruru kind of fucked things up. I didn't want to have to point it out. But yeah, I mean, she made a big mistake there. I have to imagine that using Flash one foot away from Magu's single giant eyeball was not very beneficial to him. So, Also, Apple knows about the Chaos Gods now, because there's cameras and all that. So That's clearly a pair, so no, it's, it's all oh, right. Oh, okay. They're, they're noble in this universe. <laughs> Pair.com, iPair, yeah, all that stuff. It's like how, you know, uh, in Digimon, uh, Izzy had a pineapple uh, brand computer. So I always just assumed that's because Izzy was adopted and his parents didn't like him. So they bought him off brands of everything. There's <laughs> 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 one of those moments where I was like, I don't even know where this joke's going to go until I started doing it. <laughs> Uh, we don't care as much about him. He's our adopted <laughs> son. You don't have any natural children. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe if we did. But if we did, they. W- I always say it because that happened to me with my life. I, I think I've told the story before. I used to, whenever I would go to my dad's place, my dad would always give my sister real coke, and me and my brother would have to drink Sam's Choice. And I was like, this is weirdly flagrant favoritism that I don't think should be allowed. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that was a chapter of Magu-chan. Uh, it started off on unsteady grounds, got got better in the middle, started to taper off again because, you know, the Unaris pattern. Uh, but then had a very nice, heartfelt little conclusion. Uh, I did really appreciate that. Yes. So. All right, Nick, it's time to get stoned. Yes. With Dr. Stone, Z equals 218. I know it's www, but nobody puts that in web in website uh, addresses anymore. So it's so. Anytime this, some people are like, you have to put the www, and I look at them like they're insane. I was like, what website makes you put in www, or you go someplace else? www.www.com. So, um, they're going to make the internet. In order to coordinate, the first thing we have to do is invent all the awful things people can comment on your YouTube videos with. So we invent sexism, racism, transphobia, homophobia. (laughs) Like, oh man, no, just general dickishness. Like, uh, you know, it seems fitting that Yo invented a lot of these. (laughs) Uh, so they're like, okay, well, what do you do first to make the internet? And Senka says we need Tochu tea. And everyone's like, what the fuck is he talking about? So they go to Hiroshima and they go and they gather a bunch of the ingredients necessary to make tochu tea, which they then make, start drinking and enjoying and stuff. And uh, they break open some of the leaves or fruit or whatever it is. Uh, and it's got this bizarre stretchy material inside it, which is the actual reason that they have come here. 
Senku identifies it as Eucomia elastomer, a polymer, which is a cousin to rubber, extra hard and super sturdy. This is the stuff that people use to make golf balls and 3D printer filaments. And the reason that it's so useful is because it is super resist. It's resistant to water and electricity. And Chrome is the one who, of course, identifies like, oh, we've got to make giant cores to drop into the ocean. And so, yes, that's that's what they're going to do. They make giant underwater cables um, and they lay them out over the course of, I don't know, another couple of years, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's a lot of work. So <laughs> uh, they make the relay point Hawaii uh, between Japan and North America. And um, this is basically just so use we could just have a little Hawaiian vacation for one panel. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Um, and we get it, you know, a, continue the montage, continue the montage. They set up the underwater cable and then everyone gets in contact. They plug everything in and everyone has a giant Skype call. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if we've been introduced to Albert Einstein yet. <laughs> no. Well, Nick, uh, he's back. <laughs> Perhaps he died perfectly preserved uh, in a state of comatose for, for years and years. Then the Petra beam happened. And it fixed all of his, his problems, and then they unsealed him, and he's back now. I'm just upset because I know that Yuzuriha and Taiju still are separated. How long have they been apart from each other? <laughs> um, but now they can uh, you know talk with each other and stuff. Ginro is super happy that they don't have to communicate by fucking Morse code anymore. Honestly, I totally get that. Uh, and now they can easily coordinate the efforts of all the science users. Uh, Dr. Zeno starts to make a big introduction to himself and Seku's like, yeah, I'm Seku, fuck it, we gotta make a rocket, let's go on, let's move, let's do it. Um, and so everyone on his end starts talking amongst themselves, saying, well, what are we gonna do in order to actually plan this? Are we gonna draw blueprints on paper? Are we gonna copy them and send them to each other that way? But Seku says, no, the reason why we laid all those long cables to recreate the internet is because we're gonna do the design work entirely online. Uh, and uh, Sai says that's impossible. We our computers are still too primitive. But Senku just says, with a very evil glint to him. I want to point out this is like an ominous thing. This is going to turn out that Senku was the real villain all along, and he's basically <laughs> just recreating technology so that he can be the czar of the entire world. And Y Man is just the last remaining threat to his empire before he exploits everyone and makes them work in diamond mines for the rest of their life. Anyway. He says, we'll use e-paper. Um, see, he demonstrates by saying, you know the electron beams that make our TV work? Now there are going to be two, a strong one and a weak one. And light shows up and remains whenever wherever this e-pen touches. And we can use it to write on the screen. And by adding a metallic plate that can read that data, we can then send the drawings to other people on the network, like the earliest CAD systems that were sold to the public. And it was like, oh, okay, this way we can immediately share designs we've drawn with engineers around the world in real time. Like we're using Google Docs, basically. Uh -huh. uh, and more time passes while people are designing stuff because they have to work on another component of the plan, which is getting people ready to, you know, travel through fucking space. And so they've kind of rigged up a seat that the astronauts are going to sit in when they're on their way to the moon. Crumb takes it for a ride and he's like, this is really weirdly cramped and I don't like it. Which, yes, um, that is what being an astronaut means. It is being in cramped quarters for a really long time. You better be used to it. Yeah. <laughs> so 
believe that it was a requirement for a really long time uh, that you could not be over six feet and be an astronaut uh, because of that limitation. Um, I don't know if that's the case anymore. So That's why the Russians never made it to space. Too tall. Not true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you don't want history lessons with a person who has no knowledge about history? Nick, <laughs> would you like my lesson about Cleopatra? She was a cat lady. Uh, I believe an Egyptian pharaoh. And she killed Caesar. Somebody from Greece. Rome. <laughs> Someone like that. Some she killed someone famous with like a, a poison. You definitely got one of those, right? She there, was fair. There, there you go. Done and done. She was queen. I don't know if she qualifies as fair. I don't know enough about ancient Egyptian history either. But anyway, <laughs> so I know that you were wrong about some of those. But anyway, uh, but yeah, they're gonna go to the moon and they're gonna make it a round trip. And Senku says that the that. For this, they need to select their team of astronauts and start training for outer space travel. And Ryu Sweet butts in to go, one of those is going to be me. So I'm getting real World Cup arc energy from Dr. Stone right now, where everything is moving super fast, yet at the same time, none of it's particularly interesting. Like, Cool, we invented the internet. We could have uh, team meetings with everybody. Like, I fully expect next week for them to be like, we invented the metaverse. I know it's kind of just like a current thing kind of going on with you. We, we invented crypto. It's here now. Like, every all your favorite things. It's the Smash Brothers of shitty technology I don't care about. Everyone's here. I am actually looking forward to seeing the process for deciding who the astronauts are going to be. And I hope it's not just a matter of, like, everyone sits in a circle and sick. It's like, it's going to be these people. And that's yeah. it. Uh, it'd be interesting to see them actually go undergo a series of tests. And so we see, you know, for example, like if Chrome can't go on the mission because he can't deal with the tight quarters and stuff, like what if someone that you expect to go on the mission just cannot deal with, uh, you know, like motion sickness or whatever. And so they literally cannot go because it's not safe for them to go. They would jeopardize the mission. And so Kawaku gets left out or whatever. Uh, it would be interesting to see that kind of thing happen. Um, and also it would just be a way to get more into what Dr. Stone is really, really good at, which is, you know, doing focus on character stuff. Um, and hopefully that'll get us off of this train of, we need to just make technology, make technology, make technology at a really rapid, uninteresting pace. So, well, maybe we'll get there at some point, but not quite yet. All right, Nick, let's jump over to Mashal Magic and Muscles, chapter 85, Mash burned it in the malicious magnet user. Uh, so uh, Rose Quartz is uh, fighting off against Mash, and he's like, all right, I'm going to take you down. There's no way I'll ever treat you as human, you magicless trash. And Max says, well, I don't really need you to, so we're good, which is a pretty cool <laughs> line. Like, fuck you. Um, as long as everyone else treats me like a good guy, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> Rose Quartz uh, activates his magic, which is magnet magic. He attaches uh, a, no- a North Polarity to Mash, and then makes something like this big metal ball with spikes on it and makes it have the north uh, polarity. So it shoots Nash away and then he gives it the south polarity. So Mash is, oh, is drawn just towards up one piece. Kids just getting gypped. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, it's like, oh, no, you're going to get impaled by this thing. Uh, and stabbed at it over and over. There's no way to dodge his attack. And Mash is drawn into it and then moves super quick 
in a lateral movement to the side so that he's not actually moving away from it so fast and it fucks with the polarity. And then he holds out his hand just a little bit and basically like karate chops all of the spikes off until it's just a harmless ball. And you know, a harmless metal ball that it wouldn't hurt to, to slam into at high speed. <laughs> no, it's it's a harmless ball at that point. Uh, Rose Quartz even notes, oh, that was creative, but now how will you handle this? And gives the, the polarity to all of the walls, takes it away from MASH. It's like, uh-oh, now this thing's going to be rocketing around like a ping-pong ball. Like, it's super dangerous now. Oh, and he's going to make more. It's even crazier. It's even crazier. So MASH grabs his wand and starts stretching it out. <laughs> and he stretches it out into a baseball glove. <laughs> and Dot's there. And he says, did the mass increase? <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. And so MASH starts doing baseball saves and we get the, the nine balls dragon parade chapter. We never got before where he's throwing the ball and passing it to himself. Basically yeah. dot, dot even notes he's a one man keystone combo and MASH grabs the ball and is like missile throw. And, uh, it, it uh, Rose Quartz puts up like a big wall to block it and it just drills straight through it and just manages to skim past Rose Quartz's face. Uh, so it's like, wow, he had to have put a lot of spin on that for the magnetic forces to not work. But there's a trick I've been saving. And it's great. It doesn't have like an, exa- an exotic name or anything. It's confinement box. Boom. And he's, just, he's trapped in a box now. <laughs> Um, you know, it's 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 not the confinement box used to imprison very powerful magical beasts. It's just <laughs> yeah. Uh, he notes that it's a high level spell that can only be cast with someone with two wands. The target remains trapped, wandering, endless void of nothingness, and he can only be freed with these two keys. And one other member of the evil school shows up to take one of the keys. So he's like, to beat us or to to save your friend, you're gonna have to take them from us. Uh, and then who should show up but Lance? He's just there as well. So it looks like we're going to tag team match or two separate matches. But the chapter ends with MASH in the, quote, wandering, endless void of nothingness. He says, whoa, dark. I bet some aroma candles would go great with this mood lighting. (laughs) So clueless. (laughs) Gotta love him. Yeah. Silly action comedy chapter for Mashal. Yeah, there was I mean, there was a couple of good jokes. Uh, I do it, like him karate chopping <laughs> the spikes off for some reason. He has a very direct way of dealing with problems. He so. does. Um, all right. The Elusive Samurai, chapter 40, Three Great Generals, 1335. Last time we learned that Mochizuki died in battle. All of his forces were overrun, and Ayaka was incredibly upset by this. And we get direct confirmation that, yeah, that was her father. She cries over him, and Tokiki just doesn't really know what to say. He's like, I, I mean, I heard that she's Mochizuki Dono's Shoshi, which means a child by a concubine. Uh, so learning that he died this way must be you know, incredibly painful. And so they all you know, bow their heads in prayer and Moshizuki is behind Tokiyuki and he's just like oh I'm so sad he was a mighty man but now he's gone and they're like oh my god you're alive it's like hi <laughs> Ayako's overjoyed she runs and uh, hugs him and he hugs her back and he hugs her by like bear hugging her so they're like ah that's why Ayako is super mad strong <laughs> she had to keep up um, 
But uh, Fubuki just says, wait a minute. So wait, you're all fine. You're all okay. You're not harmed. Did you just abandon the fort? And Mochijuki just says, yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. He says, I hated fighting from inside, so I let the enemy have it. Uh, And Kojiro is really upset by this. He says, now we could lose the entire battle. Like Ichikawa's force is going to move south and place the center and south at a great disadvantage. But Tokoiwa... Uh, says, no, actually, the fort we were defending was weak. Couldn't hold too many soldiers. We would not have lasted even two days. And Mochizuki-sama saved us all. He cut us away out, and we would have all died if not for him. And Mochizuki says, yeah, now we're a greater threat to Ichikawa because we can hide in the wild. If Ichikawa moves on the center, we can attack him from the rear at any time, and when he crosses the river to the south, that'll be a perfect opportunity. Fubuki, super tactical genius kid, agrees on this and says, oh, it's an excellent strategy. I assume you must be coordinating then with Shinomiya Dono. And Moshizuki just goes, huh? Shinomiya? Didn't communicate that part. Uh, So this is a big problem. Uh, And Ayaka brings up that this means that each cow is going to advance unimpeded, and he and the Kakushi are going to close in on the center from both sides. And Mochizuki's like, well, she's sorry. (laughs) Sorry I placed the whole army in danger by not talking to people. So uh, Tokiki says that they need to rush over and inform Shinomiya of this. Uh, He leaves Ayaka uh, there so that she can protect her father, which she starts to object to. But he says, starting tomorrow, I want you to run messages between the north and the center. This is a chance for you to fight alongside your father. So you now you can have a chance to show your devotion to him. And Ayako sounds pretty pleased by that idea. Uh, and as they depart, Mochizuki and Ayako watch them leave. Mochizuki comments, your long lord, young lord isn't big, but he has a talent for war. And Ayako says, yes, and my loyalty to him wells within me. Yes, she likes him. Okay. Yeah, yeah okay little moments uh, of Tokiki understanding, you know, his friend. So mm. uh, they're all very tired when they reach Shinomiya, uh, and so Yuki just says, "Like, oh, can you send to troops?" <laughs> and uh, Shinomiya says, "Yes, uh, I wish we could talk more, but you should rest for now." And they go to fucking bed. There's a little bit brief moment where Shizuku tucks Tokiyuki in. It's it's nice and sweet. Then there is a big old strategy meeting the next day. Uh, and so they're trying to figure out what to do. They bring up that Mochizuki is, you know, same as ever. Uh, so we need to consider developments to the north. Uh, the most important objective is defeating the Kakushi in the center. And they want to avoid having a protracted battle because they're for, but their forces are roughly equal. So they're trying to figure out what to do. And then Shizuku brings up, uh, speaks up. And um, Nezu says, uh, yeah, I mean, you can you can you can talk if you want to by doing this. She goes, go now. You're wasting my time. Come on, talk. <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, so Shizuku says to Fubuki, like, hey, yeah, you know, tell me, tell him what you noticed before. And Fubuki says, it seemed like there were an excess, an excess of troops at the southern fort. The fort itself is strong. So if we knew the direction of their attack, Uno and a small force could defend it. It would require many scouts, but only 80% of our current numbers overall. Uh, so they're like, okay, yeah, and if we could bring in more warriors to help the other groups, that would be very helpful. And Shizuku brings up, wouldn't Nezu-sama's hawks be great lookouts for the fort? 
And Fubuki's like, oh, yeah, the scout guy would be a great scout. I mean, it's a little bit obvious considering what we saw the guy do in the recent chapter. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, with that, he says, you know, we, that only 100 warriors could hold that fort for 10 days, by my estimation. And a brief fight would require fewer reserve fighters from this fort. So in exchange for Nezu going south, 200 men could leave the south and join the center. And everyone thinks that that's a great idea. Nezu's like, yeah, I mean, it all makes sense. And yet, freaking child suggested this. Yeah, okay. Talk down to the person who might have just saved all your asses. Okay, thanks, Nezu. So He's a jerk. Uh, but he decides to go with it, especially because, uh, you know, he knows that Yorishige trusts uh, them all. And uh, so they kind of lay out, okay, so here's how the forces are going to get redistributed. Uh, and then uh, Nezu says to Toby, Tokiyuki, you know, you must know some shortcuts, so help help me get to the south. And uh, then they just say, like, oh, man, she's good. She's really impressive. Only she would devise a plan involving the redistribution of the great generals. So she is the smart one. We just kind of get that, you know, pressed because that's kind of really all she really gets to do as she's not doing mystical stuff. I was going to say, isn't, what's his name, Fubuki? Isn't he supposed to be the strategist? Yeah, but he has two swords. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they, uh, word gets around to the different warriors. Uh, Tokyuki meets up with the different generals, with Nezu uh, meeting up with uh, uh, Hush- not Hushina, whatever. I can't remember everyone's names. Um, while the two generals talk, and they're like, you know, this is a good strategy, but should we really you know, proceed with it? I mean, a kid did come up with it. The Kukushi merely outnumbers us, but Sanamune's force is seasoned. Like us, he must have a plan. Uh, we cut over to Tokiyuki, who is now riding with Kojiro and Ginba. And uh, Ginba's like, oh my god, we've been riding for days. I'm so fucking tired. Um, but uh, And even Kojiro is uh, concerned that Tokiyuki is overdoing it at this point. Uh, at that moment, Nezu's hawks spot something because there are 100 enemy troops that were supposed to be north of the fort, and they're gone now. The main enemy force is gone, and Tokiyuki and company run right into them. Uh, and Sadamune is in the middle of them and is just like, ha, bound you. You're the messenger who's been going all across the countryside. I told you I would show you no mercy if we met in battle. I'm going to capture you torture you until you reveal Sua's commands and involvement in the struggle and once I've won I will have Yoroshike himself in the palm of my hand so they're in trouble there's three kids facing down a, a, an army of a hundred horse uh, horse riding troops so good stuff yep uh, I'm still at that point where I need the arc to kind of fully come together um but it's it's getting more interesting, so it's definitely a setup chapter still. Um, I mean, it's nice that she's got to have a little moment, but honestly, didn't hit very hard for me because mm-hmm. it was like, yeah, okay, she made a suggestion. All right, yeah. <laughs> so all right, Nick, let's move on to Black Clover. Wrap things up, I should say, with Black yes. Clover, page three thirteen, the Captain of the Black Bulls. So we start in a flashback of a young Captain Yami who has discovered his magic, and we hear the various thoughts of people say, Dark magic? How ghastly. What a repulsive magic. Foreigners are ominous beings. Don't go near him. That power will bring misfortune on us all. And uh, 
Then the Wizard King shows up and is like, Dark Magic! Incredible! I've never seen that before! And he's really, really excited. And uh, mm-hmm. then we, we cut to, like, sort of a flashback of various characters. There's uh, Nature Boy Ric Flair and then Nature Boy Ric Flair's brother, whose name I don't remember. I know he says it right there, and it's right. Morgan, but I don't, I don't want to remember it. <laughs> uh, so it's them kind of talking. Then we see a collage of various different captains and just significant Clover Kingdom characters responding to it. And... A lot of it's positive, which I guess is how the conversation tends to go with Yami. Um, but it is amusing because uh, the whole narrative is like, oh, people. I, I guess the idea is the black, the, the knights care. It's the citizens who are bad, um, which is a weird uh, way to play things. Yeah. Um, um, wasn't the ruling class bad? <laughs> well, they're not all the rule. Like, they're not all ruling class. Just some of them. And then some of them are serial killers who are heroes. Look, there is a corrupt force at work in the magical kingdom. Uh, the royalty is corrupt. The noble families tend to be assholes. But the cops are good people. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I really love is we save panel space for the evil captain of the purple orcas. Yeah. I was like, did we really need his thoughts on all this? Oh, uh, man. That one traitor who nearly doomed us all, he thought kind of highly of me briefly yeah. once. he thought if I was useful, it would still be okay. Um, also, we'd see a guy with glasses who I guess was a captain at this time, and it was no, just No, that, that's just the dude who fixed up Asta's arm. Someone has explained this oh, to me okay. like seven times. He's a, I, I don't know his name. Fucking Jose. I don't know. It's He's a dude. He's, he's a dude who fixed Asta's arm, and Yami is friends with him. Um, we, we have a little scene of Yami hanging out with Morgan and being like, you know, being part of a great uh, brigade lets you meet so many different magic knights. It's really energizing. Compared to them, my ghastly magic looks cute. Even the most fearsome magic is defined by the person who uses it. You have a good eye for people, Yami. The power to bring people together, too. Even if you're blunt, I think you'd make a great brigade captain. And Yami replies, you're a moron. That would be you. Guys like you are the ones to lead people and you know it. Hard cut to uh, Morgan's tombstone. <laughs> um, and Yami seeing Nature Work very clearing at it saying, you know, someday I'm going to make my own brigade. I bet the other brigades will look after the decent types and the brilliant ones. So I'm going to choose the ones that Destiny didn't choose. The ones who got chained down. The lost ones. The ones burdened with crimes. The brigade where people who haven't been able to wield the power they've got can rampage around. The ones who talk about just food. The ones who have things for their little sisters. The ones who like hang out in like quiet chambers and shit like that, but they're always part of the house and they talk really slow. And then when they get powered up, they lose all of their hair. Those are the ones I want. And I'll get stronger so I can keep all those idiots together. Oh, and Magma. Maybe like one dude with a baseball gimmick. <laughs> like, that would be the great, like that's how he ends it. Oh, one, one, one dude with a baseball-based firepower set. Uh, and we see that. A two-page spread of Yami basically when he recruited all these various different people. And a lot of these, I think, are scenes we've sort of seen before to some extent. I don't know if we ever knew he found Charmy in a net. He might have, but that's an interesting little detail. Um, she was just wandering around stealing food from various places, and so she came across what apparently was like a rabbit trap. So Possibly. Uh, but there's a lot of little sweet, cute scenes there. Um, 
I I did the only one I was wondering about. Who's the one in the bottom right? That's Sekre. Oh, no, no uh, that bottom right. Sorry. Yeah. Ooh. The, the big guy. I guess that's gray. Is it? Yeah. You know, in disguise. Is that what she disguised herself as originally? She did pick somebody big, didn't she? Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense then. All right. That was one I was curious on. Um, so continues a place to end uh, a place who ended up fine. The one who ended up finding a place to belong might have actually been me. Aww. And then we get like little sinister thing of like, oh, dark magic, magnificent. The power of the underworld dwells in your magic. Yeah, death, despair, darkness. You will bring them all into this world. And then we get a long vertical strip that if you zoom into, you could actually read a lot of it. Um, you probably don't need to. You've heard these characters say these things before for the most part, but it's the various members of the Black Bulls kind of giving their thoughts to Yami about what he's done for them and what they've meant. And they all in unison shout out Captain Yami. Uh, the evil scientist dude has uh, basically been beaten at this point because who gives a shit? Uh, if this was One Piece, he would come back three more times, though, and maybe potentially wound more of your favorite characters in the process. But here, it doesn't look like he's going to. As Yami laughs, what, you people like me that much? And the entire Black Bulls in the two-page spread shout, yes, sir, we love you. And in the following two-page spread, he says, well, it's mutual, you idiots. And even nature boy Ric Flair, off to the side, says, you're all extremely reckless. But you have my respect. And we close this chapter with the doors by the gate opening. So, uh-oh, looks like demons are coming in still. Yep. You're, uh, you didn't love him enough, guys. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you should have loved him faster. Maybe, like, Zora was just like, I mean, I'll say it, but I don't really mean yeah, it. Yeah, he's like, I, 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 I'm fine with you. <laughs> no, Zora, you gotta meet it or the demons will come out. <laughs> I like, you know, you're fine. I'm not, like... I just don't have I just don't form relationships with people that way. Okay. I'm really guarded. That's like my whole thing. Yeah. I, Open your heart, Zoro. The demons are gonna kill us all. No. <laughs> <laughs> just starts pounding. No, I don't want to. Um Yeah, I I feel like this chapter doesn't quite set up the big moment that it reaches the emotional zenith to within itself. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we started the flashback within this one chapter uh, means that it feels very stilted. Obviously, when you know stuff about Yami, you know that like, yeah, you know, he attaches, he, he attaches himself to the people who are rejections of society, people who uh, are, you know, not perfect uh and their imperfections make them interesting and stuff we know all that about him but it seems as though we're like supposed to get that impression because of his experiences as a youth where he was that rejected imperfect person but we only see very small snippets of it and then we just kind of see a bunch of magic knights not immediately rejecting him full cloth yeah and the idea is supposed to be that because of that experience he was able to become who he could have, he could have, he was be able to fulfill his potential and stuff like that. But we kind of race past all of that stuff. And then we get to the part where 
all the connections with the Black Bulls are, you know, reiterated, which is all nice. There are some good visuals. I do like the collage of the different images of all the times that he actually met them and, and first made those connections. Um, and then just him saying, like, I set out to make a place for all these people to belong, but the person who found a place was actually me. That's nice. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a nice what demonstration of the symbiotic relationship that he has with all these people. It's just like, I feel as though we should see some sense of that forming between him and the home that he found when he joined the magic Knights, And we don't really get that. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I feel like you could have done that if you just made this flashback two chapters instead of one. And that would have solved it. No, I can agree with you. I, I ended up still liking this chapter, if only because I guess it just wore me down. <laughs> like I, I don't know a better way to say it. Like Black Clover eventually found its way to just bully its emotions into my heart. And it was like the two page spread of like him when he found his various people. I was like, you know, individually, I don't think I cared about a single one of those stories, but all collaged together. I was kind of like, where are you go, Black Bulls? Woo! <laughs> Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm dumb sometimes, so I ended up liking it. Yeah, and I'm sure that you know this must have been a really big thing for people who are fans of Black Clover. Yeah. Like this must have been a very nice emotional chapter. Uh, and hey, Yami is going to actually get to do stuff again. So Hopefully, nice. he's still fused into a coffin and a monster's coming out. So things he, he, things may not go great. He won't let that stop him. Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> He's got dumps still to take in his life. He's not going down here. All right. That is it. We don't uh, have any One Piece this week, as we just said. So, favorite chapter, MVP. Any thoughts? Uh, you know what? I'm not going to let you talk me out of it. I am going to give it to Black Clover, my favorite okay. chapter of the week. I, I thought it was fun. Um, Yeah, I'm going to go with Black Clover. All right. I'm kind of struggling. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ayashi mom? No, that's mm. not a struggle. <laughs> mm. uh, oh, you're saving that for MVP. I gotcha, I gotcha. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm I'm torn, I guess, between Undead Unluck and Spy Family. Uh, Spy Family was nice and comfortable. Undead Unluck had the vague sense of like, oh, hey, look at look at Fuko growing up and saving the world, kind of thing. Um, let me see. Do I have a strong? character of the week moment i do so i'm going to give it to undead unluck um i feel like we've been doing that a lot recently but it's been a really good stretch uh for the series to see them taking on spring uh i just really like the setup of stuff where it's you know it's initially made out to like oh this is going to give you you know like how Fuko sees everyone's backstory and stuff is like, oh no, she just knows everyone really well because she's Fuko and she's just good at that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, her entire gimmick is getting close to people, so her power will work. Makes sense. Um, and I like the visual of Spring getting hit by lightning, and I like the thing where Spring's like, I'm not really going to try and play this game. I'm just <laughs> going to beat you. <laughs> I'm going to beat you up when you reach for the card, and then I'm going to take it. Sucks to suck, little nerd. So and just the feeling of triumph at the end where it just seems like, yeah, Foucault's got this ability where they and if everyone grows like her, they can actually challenge God and they don't have to be complete assholes like Billy keeps on thinking that they need to be. Yeah. So uh 
I will agree with you on that point. My MVP is going to be Fuko. I looked up and remembered that for the October 27th episode, I gave it to Buko. So part of me is like, can I give it to Buko again? But we're oh. out of the season, so it would be very inappropriate. So just regular Fuko this time. My MVP is going to be Ruru. I really just like the moment of connection that she has with Magu, and that's really it. Uh, the dark part where she is just, you know, watching the sunset, and she's just like, yeah, you know, you can be happy for all sorts of reasons, and right now I'm just happy because I'm sharing this moment with you. It's very sweet. Yes. And uh, I like that there is, you know, for once, a little bit of that reciprocated by Magu. So. Absolutely. Uh, the audience, by the way, uh, picks Spy Family as their chapter of the week. And then Fuko won the character of the week. Both good choices. Indeed. All right. Well, everyone, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. We will see you guys next week. Hopefully, we'll be ready to talk about Jigoku. Almost certainly not. Almost certainly I won't be. (laughs) Hell's Paradise. Once I figure out how to say the name, then we'll tell you when we're going to talk about the series. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we record the show here on twitch.tv slash live, usually starting around 7.30 p.m. on Wednesday evenings. You can join us on social media, uh, twitter.com slash wmrpodcast at nickftime at T to get updates on when exactly the show is going live. Or you can also join us on our discord server uh you can hang out with all the people there talk about the manga that we are taking for recommendations the recommended not the recommended the recap series as each chapter comes out or you know it'll devolve into talking about what fanfic ships are really popular uh that happened earlier this week but uh all sorts of fun stuff happens on there. And also you can use that to find the Google doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of all sorts of helpful statistics series that have been recommended that we've covered before existing recommendations. There are like hundreds of them that you can add little things onto to say, yes, I would also like to see you read this because that kind of helps us to figure out what people are interested in. Uh, and uh, polls for popular stuff so that we know at the end of the year, who was the MVP and who was the most, what was the most popular series among everyone and all that kind of helpful stuff. Mm-hmm. You can watch the podcast video version on youtube.com slash weekly manga recap. Uh, if you do that, you might catch a glimpse of some of the uh, thumbnails, uh, the art provided by Steve Mann, our target artist. You can check out his work wherever boobs are allowed to be drawn on the internet, including his Twitter, yes. twitter.com slash Steve Mann art. And also, each episode on the YouTube is accompanied by the opening sequence, which was created by Winsleydale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz. But if you don't feel like watching our ugly faces when we're doing this show, you can instead... My ugly face. Oh. You're very, very lovely Thank one. You. Uh, and if you don't feel like watching our faces, both good and bad looking, uh, you can instead just listen to the audio version wherever podcasts can be listened to out there, uh, which includes weeklymongarecap.podbean.com, iTunes, iTunes, Spotify, etc. So, Yeah, go for all those fun little places. And that's going to do it, everybody. We are uh, 
We're done. We're going to head on out of here. We've said all we needed to say, unless we want to go for... What was the bit we did for like 15 minutes earlier today during Spy Family? Oh, Han Solo. Uh, Han Solo. So there was... <laughs> I I'm, I'm uh, like I don't ever like giving intro work, but there is part of me. It's like, do, should we include separate timestamps for Spy Family? The Han Solo <laughs> tangent starts and then Spy Family again. Uh, should we like somehow do like a, a, a deep discussion of spy family out of the Han Solo discussion? I know. Well, uh, it's going to get, it's going to be hard. Cause I'm just going to talk about Han Solo again. I'm just going to start talking about it. You know, what was really bad was that like, I, I watched that movie and I was like, you know what? Everyone's really hard in this movie. I don't see what, like it wasn't good, but it was, you know, it was a fun little trip to the movie theater, had some laughs, had a good time. It cost how much to make Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you make half the movie decides you don't like it and you start all over again from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys, stay tuned. We're just going to continue this conversation off air. And uh, at that point, then uh, maybe you'll hear it if you open your windows and stick your ear out. Perhaps you'll hear our conversation. You never know. Or, you know, you just look into the distance and you feel the force yeah. when you're a kid and you could be the next Jedi master until the next director comes in and changes their mind about how Jedi work. So and then maybe you'll get cut in half and get spider robot legs. <laughs> <laughs>